Sigmar multicast. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey, noisome knight in the order of the superfly. <laughs> this is Eric, and no one puts Bobonicus in a corner. I'm Aaron, and uh, I didn't realize that I could just blame anything I did wrong on a demon that was living inside of me. Mm. And this is Paul, my not haunts are rather exclusive, only the wraithful. <laughs> in this episode, we're going to be following Lord Celestant of the Hallowed Knights, Gardist, Gardas Steel Soul, into the depths of Nurgle's Patch of Heaven in the Realm of Chaos. Jumping feet first into pustuled swamps in search of his Lord Castellant, Loris Grimm. This is written by Josh Reynolds and available to order at blacklibrary.com as an ebook or hardback. We will also be discussing our coalescence experience and a new homebrewed skirmish campaign that we have in the works. You can listen to us on iTunes or search for Mortal Realms on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review or new. This month or last month, you can watch us on YouTube. Like and subscribe and share your comments below. How are you doing, gentlemen? Grand. Fantastic. Beyond outstanding. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I feel lackluster with my answer now. Like really grand. You let us all down. When you jump in first, it gives everyone else an opportunity to one-up you. Or two-up you as So I'm doing you all a solid. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's get to uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, hobby progress or games played or just things you've been doing uh, since we last uh, showed up here. Uh, Paul, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I have been working on a skirmish warband, uh, but I also did something specific for Plague Garden. Uh, as I was reading the book, I was really intrigued by a transformation that happened to one of the characters. Uh, and it was an idea that had been rattling around in my head previously. So I converted up my own version of Morbus. Uh, if you read the background, if you read Play Garden, there is a certain point where his armor splits, and as it were, the light of Azir comes through his armor. Spoilers. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> uh, so I attempted to make my own version of a uh, miniature version of that story. Very cool. Turned out great. Thanks, Davy. What have you been up to? All in on Caradron Overlords. Um, cool. Yeah. Been uh, been very excited. I got uh, ten Arcanauts complete. I got uh, a Navigator complete, and I know I talked last time about you know trying to um, spread my wings a little bit with some techniques. So I got a little bit of a, a glow technique going on with them, and then uh, did way more freehand than I've I've ever done before. Uh, I've kind of restricted that to the occasional banner, but everyone uh, every one of those guys has got it on each shoulder, um, and then the uh, Navigator I was I was trying to freehand some starscape on his little uh zephyr scope or whatever it may actually be one of his little instruments so um a lot of fun uh currently working on a uh frigate which uh it was a task just to assemble but a lot of fun <laughs> i'm really loving the models and uh they just did a great job of just you know thinking about how these things would function so you can look like okay on this side there's the hatch that the argonauts would be coming out of and then the guardrail has, you know, clearly a clasp where it's going to swing out of the way. And then there's a little, you know, tab that'll flop down so that you can drop the ladder down. Like it's, it's all uh, a lot of, a lot of thought, you know, it, it almost kind of tells a story, even though it's just sitting there static. Um, so really been enjoying that a lot. Uh, this will be not the biggest, the frigate, the frigate's on the bigger end of, of anything I, I typically paint. And it's got a lot more like 
wide flat spaces, which I haven't done for a long time since back to my 40 K days where I did it, but very poorly. So it'll be a challenge. I'm, I'm trying the, uh, the Duncan road, two or more thin coats, uh, trying to hold true to his. Yeah. Um, it's and garbage. in the case, <laughs> oh, wow. Bold one, statement. One super thick coat for me. Yeah, yeah. Eric's able to like shuck all standards and, and come out with awesome stuff, but he's almost the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Yeah, he's the exception <laughs> um, to a lot of things. Did you say you're, you're putting the frigate together entirely? Like, you're going to put the whole thing together before you... No, no. So, uh, sub-assemblies right now are the uh, endrins, like the big spheres. Uh, then there's a frigate uh, sitting separate. The crew are separate. And then I've kept the turret separate because I need to magnetize the two guns so I could put... Uh, I currently have not figured out a way where the uh, sky hook would be more useful than a cannon, but it's, it's possible. You know, who knows? Know. And I'd like to have... Forget that. about it. Well, okay. Oh, well, there's there's wow. your one. Wow. <laughs> uh, but one. it is also doubling as my warband uh, for our skirmish campaign. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, and the other thing I've managed to do with this is be extraordinarily disciplined uh, as far as purchasing, trying to paint up as I as I go. The only the only reason I've broken that is because Paul uh, had some Arcanauts he was getting rid of. So I did him a huge favor and uh, totally and took those. He's so generous. I know. All I do is give. But no, and win, I guess. But no, no matter what. <laughs> All right, uh, Aaron, what, Aaron, what you, what you got going on, man? Uh, I, I mean, I have been painting surprisingly enough. Um, working on my oh. war chanter, uh, Tarvis Borker, drummer extraordinaire. Um, I think it was. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but as far as like my iron jaw, iron jaws go, um, not necessarily the greatest painter. I don't know. I don't highlight or dry brush all that well. So I, with these guys, the reason I'm going so slow, or what I tell myself, anyways, I'm looking at them. That's what I'm looking at right now. Um, is like I'm just trying to make the cleanest, clearest base coats like possible, because um, that's like something I can control. Like you don't need a, necessarily a skill to do so. Like the two thin coats. It's very mechanical in nature. So base coats are all done on uh, the war chanter and my brutes. Now, again, I'm trying to approach it the same way with my washes as well. Keep it under control. No pooling, no, you know, overly dirty look. Because um, I think those are probably the easiest controllable steps. And then maybe I just never highlight them ever again. And just leave them in their dirty state. I mean, they're orbs. That makes sense. Well I think to the point though, like, so you're working on control of these and I, you know, with your whole OCD thing, like that makes total sense. Right. But, but figuring out brush control is, is a big gateway to some other things. Um, sure, yeah. Eric can talk better. Like heroin. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, well, okay. I mean, can I do anything about, can I, can I stave that off? Like, I don't want, I've got a family, man. If, if you keep off the brush control, it will definitely not lead to heroin. Sure. <laughs> gateway, gateway, uh, drug. Uh, yeah, but that's about it. Those guys, I think we were saying, are, are going to be um, going to be my war band for the um, skirmish campaign as well. Nice. Oh, Eric. I'm, I'm, well, I'll, let me ask. Hey, Eric, what you what you been up to? Well, thanks for asking. I uh, yeah. <laughs> glad to share. Um, so I can tell in, in this next season of our monthly game nights, um, and with you know, kind of you know, Shade Spire stuff all abound and. Uh, you know, the, the the game coming up and potentially, I don't know, death release sometime in the future. I decided to, to jump back from Stormcast to my death stuff. Um, I'm hoping to be playing some Nagash over the next three game nights. 
see how he fares in our zinch heavy meta uh and making uh, a lot of friends i bet <laughs> i mean he does have this handshake <laughs> he's really and uh so i've been uh nagash was the first non-ogre model that i'd painted um back in like 2015 or something like that um and so he's getting a refresh way back in the day for me um he's getting a refresh uh bring his colors in line with the the my death army where it's come so far bringing Negash into line with my death army that's yeah who does that sounds right um and so i'm putting him together but then it's also got me into all i've got um i just did basing and uh um you know dry brushing and stuff for all the bases for uh 45 zombies um like 30 skeleton warriors 15 20 skeleton archers um all all um or at least the skeleton archers are like peasant bowmen and um uh kind of uh, uh what are the elven bows um glade guard glade guard yep so some undead glade guard um the spearmen and they're the warriors are just kind of the stock thing with a little bit of mods but so we got a lot of that stuff some dire wolves on bases trying to get them based up etc and so then i'll be doing a ton of ton of uh base colors and stuff on on troops so on, are, on those, stuff. are those troops going to match your death army as a whole like are they supposed to be part of that whole yep yep so the skeletons are all bone so they're definitely um and as we get to my i think my zombies are going to be battle line for kind of my soul blight stuff hmm. um, and so they're brighter or more of the evil sun scarlet so my soul blight have much more of the red in them um but uh, yeah, so everything's going to be in line with each other, and this this has been a cool thing about seeing your your death progresses. You are doing these, you know, you're figuring out how to expand, but you're doing it by almost like these all these mini factions within death. Yeah, it's like all right, you know, this death rattle is going to look this way, and I'm going to build up something that's heavy death rattle, and you know, there were the tomb king stuff, uh, and now you're looking at all right, what's my you know, what's my soul blight going to look like, and and building up that's that's uh. It's a cool way of going about it. I bet you, I bet you, that's not you're not alone in the way of looking at how to expand. I mean, I guess even with my slanish, you know, I'm, I look at like, oh well, let me add some bray herd stuff on now. Yeah, yeah. If I keep going, I with think that, it's, I think yeah. I mean, the in this new world we're in, and we've, I mean, we've been figuring out over the last couple of years as AOS hit, and our, our armies can expand beyond our you know little tight blocks. Right. Um, that you can. I mean, even my stormcast, my um, anvils of the Heldenhammer are. Uh, based on my color scheme for my death army. So even they are another variation on that because I want them in our narr- some of our narrative games to, to fight next to each other. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like um, sometimes inverting the colors or just weighting them differently. So all my soul bite stuff have much more of the red and black skeletons have much more of the bone and a little bit of red in them, etc. So yeah, um, I've got to figure out, uh, I've got. I want to do flesh eater cord at some point, and figure out how they differentiate from the other ones as well. So we will see. <laughs> um, so I've been working on that. Um, otherwise, it's been a lot of. Uh, uh, we'll talk more about campaign stuff, but it's been a lot more uh, kind of thinking of ways to expand uh, things for our, our just our small group to to be enjoying the game and the hobby and and to have some fun. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's expand our borders beyond just our group, right? Take away yeah. the community. Let's do it.
In the community phase, we talk about news and events that are significant to the AOS community. So a couple of things. Um, the skirmish rules have been out in the wild for a little while now, and so we're getting to see what people are going to do with them. And we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing with that. We've seen people playing games. It seems to have been well-received. Uh, and then I know, like, Tom and Vince um, thinking about some things on their end. And yeah. uh, we've heard some uh, podcasts of uh, uh, the uh, inspiration. I don't know. I mean, I guess they were going for it, but um, with uh, – who am I thinking of? The the original skirmish guy here was uh, uh, Bottle. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. his, his take on how his uh, his project slots in uh, with that, and you know, looking at not competing and being able to add to it, and that's I mean that's the that's the cool thing we've seen, uh, particularly with Age of Sigmar, is people finding ways to add a little bit on or add their own little modules uh, to it. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and then if uh, skirmish is uh, skirmish has got you started off, then uh, you get to expand up to Path to Glory, and we've seen some about that, right? Yeah, that's an interesting announcement to to have that. So Path to Glory has had a, a kind of truncated set of um, army building rules in the General's Handbook <coughs> One or twenty sixteen, um, and it's now going to have its own standalone book, which um, you know is cool. It's uh, supposedly it's going to you know have Path to Glory then for every or as many factions as it can. A lot of the battle tones have it now, right? Yeah. Well, um, I can the, tell the latest most... three. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, right. I, I think overlords. Uh, I don't. I can't. I don't know about. I can't speak to blades of corn like how detailed it is. But overlords, you know, you've got advancement tables for any of your units, for your ships, for each one of your characters has their own advancement table. Like they got pretty detailed with it. <laughs> um, and I have to imagine there'd be some kind of indicator what you'd see in the in a full. Path to Glory supplement, although you know that's sure. a lot of things, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, and um, I'm I wonder too though if they'll limit it to things that are available. I don't think they'll limit like skirmish. They limited the points to things that were available in the store, non fine cast generally, non metal, etc. I don't know if Path to Glory will do anything like that. Um, I imagine it's anything that's in the in has points would get room in that. You know, kind of thing. My understanding is that that would be correct. Yeah, it seems to say every faction was going to get these Path to Glory expansion charts. So, um, and so I imagine the the Path to Glory campaign that was in the General's Handbook was just kind of like a tree campaign where there was like four or five kind of locations, and depending on results, you'd go fight in this one. If that turned mm-hmm. out you'd go this one, or you'd go back, or you'd go back, etc., until uh, it was complete. Um, so I'm sure there'll be more some more campaign stuff as well. Um, inside there i would imagine yeah but that that uh, leads to the third thing and that's the general's handbook 2017 um and that, that leaves a big gap in the narrative section of the upcoming uh handbook and there's been a, a little bit of information on what might be in there uh, including um uh siege rules yeah mm-hmm. which i know some people I, i've heard some people say that siege rules and old editions weren't that exciting um, have you got Davy, uh, Paul? You guys had any experience with old siege rules? Yeah, I actually played. Uh, what was it? Five thousand points per side, where we combined every uh, rule set at that point. I think it was in eighth edition, so we used eighth edition and Storm of Magic and Siege, and just had a huge battle. You're talking it was a language. Lot of fun. It, it was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, siege. It like. I, I won't lie. There were so many rules flying around. It was pretty crazy. Uh, and I don't think either of us could control who won or not, but um, 
yeah, we, we definitely use them. For 8th edition, they were a little, uh, I think, simplified. As I played them, I think, in 5th or 6th as well. And those were a little bit more complicated. 8th um, edition just kind of treated it as a bunch of buildings that were all separate pieces of terrain. But you could go from one building into another. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was cool. It worked. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, right now, uh, I've got the Dreadhold Battle Tome, and it talks about uh, garrisoning buildings. But if you really dig into it, there's some mechanics that don't don't quite work. You know, it says like the building is all of a sudden the you know represents the unit, so you can't approach within three inches because it's a unit. But then they got rules like, hey, if you approach within three inches without charging, then uh, th- there's some stuff you're like, I I don't think you mm-hmm. totally thought up how this how this works, and so done that up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it's fine. You can you can figure it out. But it'll be cool to see a, a more robust representation with a level of detail that you just don't need in a in a regular AOS game, but would be perfect for something like Siege. And uh, it's a great place to put it in the narrative because you got asymmetrical game, right? Um, and you can tell some pretty epic stories uh, with it. I think so. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm I, really looking forward. I never did any Siege. I remember a couple of years ago some of the Siege um, kits. Um, we're on kind of like a temporary release before AOS dropped. Um, they looked really cool. I wonder if some of those might pop out again uh, with the release of this. So siege towers and whatnot. It would be cool to see like that, you know, and, and I'm sure like GW main and then the hobby population at large are going to uh, do some cool things with it. Like see, see yeah. the AOS version of siege towers and stuff, you know, like uh, you need, uh, you need some uh, spear checkers carrying ladders. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> so what you guys are saying is, I need, I do need to buy a Hellfort then. Of course, you need to complete your collection. Otherwise, your collection will be incomplete. Oh, yeah. don't say that to me, man. That hurts. And in, our, in our last get together, uh, Aaron, the, the obsessive collector that he is, learned that there was one part of the Dreadfort kit that is only Why available would... when you buy the Hellfort combo kit. It's like the crumbled piece of wall or something that. You know, why would why would they do that to me? We also uh, dis- capitalism. Capitalism. We also discussed though you could offload some of those other kits that are already included in the Hellfort, right? I've I've never sold anything in my life. <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> I have nothing gonna, else, <laughs> nothing else gonna, to add. Yeah. They're not going to cover your grave in dirt. It's just going to be gray plastic with stuff. Yeah, as long as Kenny doesn't get it, sure. <laughs> Oh, and then uh, last thing to share about the community phase. Um, so um, after after Coalescence uh, wrapped up, um, some of the Neons uh, chat a little bit. Um, there is an AOS Neon Facebook page. Um, so you just have to go to Facebook and search AOS space Neon, and you should be able to find that. And that's where some of the you know um, players and Neos uh, from Coalescence are gathering and chatting and talking about things that they're doing. And then we also started a website, um, wearethenneon.wordpress.com. You know, it's just something for us to get started with, start uh, the chat, start sharing things, talking about things, uh, posting content for sharing, et cetera, and see where it goes. Um, give what sort, of, what sort of things can be found there? Like, what can they expect to see? Yeah, well, so... Picked up a series going to be a, uh, like a monthly uh, Neo of Note, so basically a, a event organizer like here's you know what the cool thing is that 
the, the, some of it has felt sort of centralized, but really the, the cool thing about this narrative event thing is it, it happened all over. And so this is taking a look at what does narrative look like in this part of the world? What does it look like here? What is this organizer? You know, maybe they're in the same state, but they're doing things totally different. Right. Um, so it's a cool way to see how things are happening different. Just basically a, a way to share and pool ideas, right? Yeah. So there's a couple of retrospectives about uh, coalescence from some people. Um, you know, if somebody's got a um, any rule sets that they've created for things, um, that that's something that can be shared in this space. So if you wanted to write a blog post or something like that to share uh, content you've created, um, as we talk about things here on this, uh, if we have any rule sets we've created in our homebrew stuff, it's likely that we'll host and post things there for people to to find them. So, you know. It, it's growing. So the types of things you might find there can change. If you yeah. have thoughts on what you think could go there um, and just want to say, Hey, can I put this up there? That's narrative focused and there to support the community. Then I would say um, reach out to um, myself at stone Monk gamer or uh, Aaron Bostian uh, who's well, check us out on AOS neon Facebook group post there and I'm sure it'll get picked up. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Anything else you guys want to share from the community? No, other than I want, I want to see Paul's uh, information up on the, the website. I think there's some sweet pictures we took of your, your boards. That'd be worthwhile. Well, we'll definitely, uh, I think that's, uh, Aaron definitely said he, like this was one of the only, maybe he said he was going to get it. I don't know. We'll talk to Aaron. Gotcha. See, figure it out. Do it. Um, he did mention though that of all the pictures we got, most of them were of boards and crotches. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so, uh, if you, <laughs> uh, so we need to definitely get the pictures of, of kind of people's faces and smiling and that sort of stuff. So if you do have neon pictures from the or pictures from the coalescence event, um, and you got some smiling faces, people playing, uh, definitely make sure you get those over to the AOS Facebook group and we'll get them up on that website as well. I think so. boards and crotches is going to be the name of my new like AOS parody band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be creating some uh, some <laughs> custom Age of Sigmar belt buckles and uh, tabards uh, for sporting at the game table for when pictures are shot. Sure, so yeah. Look for Mortal Realms uh, thunder tabards. Yeah, the, the, and then the that. lightning bolt actually would like fit yeah. real well. Yeah, that'd be great. Just hanging down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. I think that's everything for the community phase. All right. So we're moving on. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Take it. Moving on to the, the campaign phase. Yes. In the campaign phase, we explore how the plastic hits the table, rules, scenarios, new tactics, and narrative campaigns. Uh, so speaking of neon, we're going to move right on here into the coalescence recap. That's true. We ran Coalescence here locally. I was going uh, gonna... <laughs> to... Yeah, we're uh, mostly... So there's there's been a bit of a broad look at it. Um, and if you want to know, you know, kind of the, the overall results, I encourage you to head to that website we talked about before, uh, wearetheneon.wordpress.com. And uh, a number of places have done a pretty cool uh, recap. They, they uh, I know Hard6 talked about the event they ran. I know uh, uh, Rolling Bad uh, talked about theirs. They seem to have a, a blast down there. A bunch of different places have, have uh, uh, brought it up, and that's that's been cool to see. 
uh, for ours, we uh, we had pretty good turnout. Paul, we were like 14, what did we end up with? Yep, we ended up with 14 players, okay. um, which I was pretty happy with. Uh, there's and, a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I know we uh, we talked about your tables a little bit last time, and uh, really the pictures are what needs to do them justice. E- even me, like seeing your work in progress, I didn't quite realize that they were going to be modular where they went from, you know, all the same pieces could be rearranged multiple times until, you know, you're in this hall of pillars and archways and then eventually became this great big, you know, ziggurat that you, it, it felt like a really cool build to the climactic end. Um, well, Paul intentionally hid that from us. <laughs> um, we did the episode last time looking like, oh yeah, look, the quantity of plastic. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't really get to appreciate the quality of the thought behind it until um, third round when, mm-hmm. you know, he had made a couple of different variations, uh, you know, from turn one to turn two, but turn three, his transformer-esque uh, modular terrain just changed and it was it was crazy was how did you get him to make the transformer no- noise like that was the most impressive part you just well you know you just make a soundboard it costs like five bucks to make you know okay it's gotcha. not that hard sure yeah. Yeah, that was it okay save yourself five bucks yeah, yeah. The- should have just had eric did hey guys talent isn't free <laughs> technically isn't talent, it? uh when Michael Bay came out with the new Transformers, <laughs> made, me, made me feel really, really old because I could not figure out what was going on in the fight scenes. I was like, I was just a bunch of metal spinning around. So I couldn't figure that out in Transformers One. I was just, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Davey. It makes no sense to me. Exactly. You guys remember that um, board game, kind of like a tabletop game called Age of Sigmar, where you'd like push mm. little dudes around the table. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about coalescence, Paul. Uh, well, uh, the the game itself uh, was based on the campaign pack that was put out by Neon. Uh, it was played over the course of three scenarios over the course of one day. Um, so basically, you were approaching a building, uh, then you were running through the building for ours, and then you were in the center uh, room of the building uh, for the final scenario itself. Um, there was a really interesting thing that happened that I did not realize would happen. It makes me really appreciate Warhammer World terrain, actually. Uh, once I thought back about it, is how when you physically lift up the surface of the table, when you put it up at six inches, eight inches, whatever, you actually require people to look each other in the eye when they're playing a game instead of looking down at the table. Um, and and if really you notice, yeah. yeah, it does. But uh, if you look at Warhammer World, most of their tables have that like high level uh, there's at least one or two ta- things on the table that really do that and even just their basic um dread hold stuff right is 12 16 inches off the table and it it invites you to actually interact with other people a lot and that for me is the most enduring memory of that day is just how many people were talking with each other having a great time like and especially that last round where everybody was looking at the same table it was almost like everybody was playing the same game on four different tables yeah. That was a really cool thing. So that's touching. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really cool too. Is the way um, you know you handled. Uh, there's a number of things that you know in the pack uh, that we're trying to kind of get people out of a competitive mindset. But even in like, uh, but there's some things that you know were left to the to the neo to do. And one of the things that you did that was really cool was the pairings. Um, and you know, initially it was just kind of like 
who, you know, someone raised their hand, I've got this, who do you, who wants to play against that? And so it gave people really an opportunity to a play against something maybe they hadn't played against before and B um, kind of uh, choose not to play against people that they play with all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a really cool kind of initial to get people like, you know, jumping into the games and then and we've, we've talked a lot on this show about like sending signals. Uh, yeah. And that was a great one. Like sending a signal right off the bat, like, Hey, this isn't random pairing. Like pick, pick one that you want to do like it, like signaling the relaxed nature of, of what the day was going to be like. Um, so intentionally yeah. or not that, that um, served, served that purpose really well. Thanks. And I think later on then it was things like trying to figure out what made sense. Um, you know, when we kept to the final table, um, there's in the, in the second game, there was a couple of cases where we had to pair uh, chaos versus chaos. Uh, but mm-hmm. then on the last tables, trying to make it as spread out as we could um, so that we'd get just really cool matchups. And I, I do think those last games um, ended up being kind of epic and each one in its own way, you know, which was really cool. Yeah. The, the destiny dice mechanic made for a really big challenge and the, the blood bond mechanic, right? Where you have the blood tithe coming in. Those two, if we would have had two Zint armies on one table or two corn armies on one table, it would have been completely overpowering <laughs> because they would have been doubling up on their power. So like, it was something I had never thought of before we started playing that became to make sure that people could actually enjoy what's going on. So it was an interesting thought I hadn't had before the tournament. Um, one of the things I wrote a um, kind of a, what do you call it? A, a follow-up article um, uh, that we posted on the AOS uh, Facebook group and a few other places and got quoted a little bit on the community uh, website. Um, but one of the things that really struck me too is that I'm not just <laughs> named. Uh, I, I didn't really have a point. I just wanted to get that out there. No big deal. Sure. <laughs> but, so moving on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but we, we had a number of players um, at the event that were pretty competitive. Um, you know, that are generally very competitive players. Um, but they really, I would say, you know, where there may be some misconception that if you're competitive, you don't like narrative. And if you're narrative, you don't like competitive. Um, it was, I mean, again, with the right signals, I felt like people slipped into narrative very easily that mm-hmm. being a competitive person didn't hinder them from having fun from, uh, you know, like writing, you know, bringing something that was going to be fun to have there. Um, and you know, uh, you know, I think no matter what, there's certainly the way our, our, uh, the scenarios were that you're always going to get some unknown lopsided thing that can happen from time to time. Um, but Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed how, um, some of our, you know, some very competitive players in our community really were able to get down have fun. And, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, we had enough signals or we just had enough of the right atmosphere to, uh, to make it feel real comfortable. Yeah, I don't know if I was playing anybody particularly um, competitive in the first place, but what I noticed uh, was um, that, that like everybody had their story, like you were supposed to have about your army, and they were they were happy to share it, which I thought was uh, rare. It wasn't just like, oh, I did this out of obligation, but they were gung ho about it, um, which was a delight. Absolutely. Yeah. We had um, we had people participants of all ages. Um, we had. Uh, um, what was our youngest? I think it was 14. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and, and played like a gentleman. 
mm-hmm. and uh, had one for best story. So his uh, his narrative uh, paragraph had, you know, almost <laughs> took itself the least serious <laughs> compared to us adults. Uh, yeah. You know, just had a lot of humor in it and, and showed a lot of maturity, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, got to see him playing with his, his uh, dad was there. Um, and mm-hmm. so just seeing it as a family event too was really cool. Um, yeah. And, and then a number of faces, I know, um, one of the, the owner and the manager of a local, um, game store took time out to come over to the event, which was, which was hosted at a different game store. Um, and it was great. It was the first time I'd really met them and got to, to know them a little bit. And, uh, it was cool that they were willing to come out, you know, kind of to, to the competitors or to a different store, um, to mm-hmm. play a game and have fun. And it, it was cool to, to meet them and, and have that experience too. So the narrative just really brought, brought people together. Yeah, no, it, I definitely felt like the narrative brought the whole room together. It wasn't like we were playing on eight different tables, even yeah. in the first scenario, the second scenario and the third scenario, we were only on four, but it just didn't feel like that the whole, the whole day. It was kind of a cool thing. Well, yeah, it's a combination of the, this, the fact that the tables were the same, but then also the fact that we were all fighting for the same stuff, too. So, like, it, it all across the board, which is fun because we were playing on boards, um, like, it was a unifying presence, no matter, like, what angle you looked at it. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I think you're right. Playing Everybody playing the same scenario, um, everybody, you know, playing it, you know, towards having the same kind of effect happening um, with the, you know, one uh, alliance being um, in favor, kind of gelling everybody else mm-hmm. um to mm-hmm. kind of go root against them at the end of each battle round being able to come together with the others in your alliance and say all right what did you get what did you get and you're like i've let you down and they're like <laughs> i've got this you know that sort of stuff you know and, and having different like heroes within our alliances um you know one time i had a round that, that i got to carry my alliance and then the next time, you know, uh, Mike Butcher got to carry us, you know, that sort of thing. So that, there's things like that that absolutely just made you feel like you're part of something bigger. Um, and then not to mention before we even got started, uh, being able to see, you know, like re- results from, you know, New Zealand and Australia rolling in and, yeah. and just kind of feeling, anticipating this wave coming our way as, as we got to get started um, and, and start uh, kind of racking up our results and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was pretty cool but- to see the, the, you know, net come alive with the uh, coalescence picks and reports and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that hashtag that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. The tweets are alive with the sound of coalescence. I think Dave said he's going to quit the podcast if you kept doing that. You know, it is the 50th anniversary of Sound of Music, so that was a great tribute, Eric. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, one of the other interesting things that I had not also considered was that because all the boards were the same. When you finished your game, you could walk over to another table and you knew exactly what was going on because yeah. it was the same board, right? Yep. Uh, I, I hadn't contextualized that either. So you didn't even need to have a conversation. So there wasn't, there's necessarily this distraction even. Everybody just kind of knew what was going on. Wait a sec. You said that you wanted people looking each other in the eye because you wanted more conversations. I didn't say I wanted that. I said that was something that <laughs> happened that okay. I really didn't think about. Fair enough. It, it was cool. cool. What's interesting too with your boards is because they were symmetrical mm-hmm. um, in a lot of cases, like which would be more fitting for a match play. Like, yeah. a lot of times, like match play tournaments, they want like similar 
and and but they don't ever go quite to like symmetrical like every table is exactly the same everybody mm -hmm. plays the exact same mission on round one round two round three or whatever so i feel like we adopted because we had so many other things we adopted things that may have fit more of a, a match play kind of style have there but been it, tournaments where every table set up the way like i mean just competitive tournaments eighth edition what have you like I, i'm surprised i haven't heard of it but I'm, i wouldn't have heard of it um oh. like it seems like it's a great way to do it yeah, not. I think maybe has that cool. I know, like ETC would do maps. Like, here's you know the five possible maps that you could play on. So mm -hmm. you could, you know, you could train reps on. Now I'm doing this map. Now I'm doing this map. You know, maybe sure. maybe South Coast as well. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't no, think any, any of the events that you know of. Yeah. Well, I I I was told that War Machine actually does that. They do do. This is the way that the setup is, and this is the way that the setup is, <laughs> right? Um. Uh, so I have heard that that's the way that War Machine runs events, uh, is they do have identical tables to make that all kind of the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it was something that I was concerned that might end up leading to a bit of a match play, you know, because everything was identical, but and that ended up not being that ended up being an ungrounded fear. So yeah, that yeah, went I agree. Well, one one thing I enjoyed again was the the signals we sent, and then as a player, I was able to kind of you know. You know, signal to my opponent like, "Hey, here's here's how what I'm doing to try and make this narrative." You know, like making some conscious decisions of like, "Hey, this would be a cooler story if we did X or whatever." So, like mm -hmm. in the first one, I had the chance for the double turn. It was just going to be like a non-game, so it was like pass it to pass it to the other guy to to make it a game. Uh, yeah. And we ended up with some really cool moments to think about instead of just being okay. Well, we're done, and I you know racked up some stuff. Um, similarly, I was one of the ones that had to do chaos versus chaos in the second round. And we could have gamed it to be like, all right, you know, let's make sure we each get as many feats as we can so Chaos stays in the lead. And we ended up doing exactly the opposite, you know, because every <laughs> time, you know, he, he'd be like, well, you could just, you know, let me grab that. I'm like, no, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this, that, that's not the story, of, you know, Chaos fighting Chaos here. Like, we're, we're going all out domination in, you know, once or twice like that. And then he was on board for the rest of it. And we were just kicking the crap out of each other. Nice. Uh, and, hoping that somebody else was doing well because we were we were uh, <laughs> not helping our alliance out for sure. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a few things, um, uh, I think, from the point of view of, like, trying to get those feats. Uh, like, I, while I liked winning the scenario just fine, like, it was one of the – it was the one worth the most. Like, trying to keep my head on those other feats and trying to, like, do those things, I was really – really fun to have those other objectives there, you know, wanting to, um, you know, kill the, kill another hero, um, or, you know, like try and get, um, one of my, you know, my battle line to into kill a hero, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would stuff say like that the, was really cool. Yeah. If there's any lesson learned on, on those, it might be make sure the feats aren't something that you have to like carefully track during the game. Cause, mm -hmm. uh, there's just so much going on in the game of age of Sigmar that, yeah. Anyone that was like, you know, count up this number of things that happened, uh, I would say at least half the time I'd, you know, when I'd be trying to collect results for chaos, like, hey, did you get this? And they're like, oh, we didn't even think about that. And they'd have to go back and, you know, yeah. try to add it up. But if it was a thing like, yes, yep. no, did this happen? You know, they, they would be able to answer that uh, pretty easily. So stuff like yeah. which hero caused the most wounds, pretty <coughs> that, that ended up being some, uh, you know, back of a napkin math after, sure. after the fact. So. I'm gonna bring an abacus next time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you not always have one? I don't. 
Oh, I mean, I mine's too big. Like, I got a deluxe like edition of it. So, I didn't know that you did that much counting during the event. No, um, sure. Well, I have to keep my skills fresh. Um, otherwise, you lose it, right? Like, take yeah. one model off. Take two models off. <laughs> take them all off. So, so we've played together. It sounds like. <laughs> Uh, so, did anybody have any like personal experiences uh, with your uh, army that you wanted the highlight of the the event for you, for your warlord? Or we had a we had a pretty cool moment in the first game where I was trying to overtake some overlords. So they're they're going on their ships, and I, I sent marauders to one side and health strikers <laughs> to the other, and they're going like so they're both very fast units. I like max max the run roll on both, and so they're just flying along. And uh, both his frigates open fire in each direction, and they totally miss. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm juking and you know cutting, cutting back and forth so fast." And then my next move, I had the Marauder Cav got bottled up in the uh, in the archway. There's no actual effect on the game. And then the frigate kind of swoops down, like like this you know trench run attack run, and then they've got nowhere to juke, and he just like maxed all his rolls, totally <laughs> wiped him out, just you know mulched him with the. Uh, with gunfire and i was like that's that was pretty awesome you know and it's just the you know the dice turned up that way and it wasn't it wasn't like a manufactured thing it just went that way but you know we we only got there because you know we took a couple of choices earlier in the game to to you know try to make it an interesting game rather than than a, a overrun or something like that so uh, that was one of my highlights i would say uh well highlight for me is i think i, I rolled the maw no, uh, on a unit of overlords, I think at least four times in a row, maybe five. Um, yeah. And what's worse is it took that many times to eliminate a unit of ours. <laughs> but I did delete it off the table. Yeah, yeah. chopped an entire unit of uh, Arcanite company. Pretty tasty, crunchy uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my uh, so my first one was that my first game was against uh, Kenny Lowell, and he had somewhere between sixty and seventy-five fire slayers on the table. Now just imagine an ogre with a a deluxe bag of fiery Cheetos. That's how the game went. Uh, I was able to just gobble up all those uh, fire slayers, which was a lot yeah, of fun. Right? Hippo situation. Yeah. yeah. So, I'll, 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 you know that sort of thing. And then uh, come a fire belly after that. And then, and then Tarkos. Uh, <laughs> Get another one in that bag. Just uh, a sheet of conversion coming out. Warhammer joke right there. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Tarkos, uh, in the next two rounds, I fought Corn uh, uh, and took out two Bloodthirsters, one in each uh, battle. Uh, the second game, however, killing the Bloodthirster gave him enough tithe points to throw a brass meteor down on Tarkos, and uh, he had one wound left. So uh, uh, that didn't. That was amazing. It was, was pretty. Awesome. I it loved was, it. It was, it was nice. Uh, destruction. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Paul, what, as the organizer, you know that sort of thing. What was what was the favorite moments for you? Uh, the favorite moment was literally just like as people looking down into the archways to see if they could get through uh, for the first scenario. The second one, looking through the doors to be like, oh, can I make this through? And then having the monsters, uh, we had it so that the the monsters couldn't fly um through the doors if the model couldn't fit so they had to go up over the walls instead so that created some really cool shots and my my favorite shot was actually davy um you had your uh i can't think of what the name is the rock yeah Yeah, the cygor was standing on top of one of the walls and just had this great shot of him like ready to whip this uh this rock at a lord of change it was such a great shot and then when i showed you later you were like 
Yeah, and then he got his face melted and got absolutely destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you had to act fast to get that picture because uh, <laughs> I had not played there, the before. I got hit by like 17 spells. And just like, <laughs> oh, cool, 43 mortal wounds. I guess I'll take him off. You know, so. Yeah, so that's probably my favorite story. Nice. Anything else you guys would want to share to wrap up and um, or things that you'd like to see for next year or that sort of thing? Uh, uh, just that it was pretty cool like I've, I've done narrative gaming you know with acquaintances and that, and that sort of thing uh friends and gaming groups but i don't think i've ever done like a narrative event and that was that was a really cool way of seeing what it could be so mm-hmm. um yeah you know we we helped construct the pack for it um we've had our names attached to it as as you know run it but it was we were just one piece of it um and really didn't know how it was going to go. It was really cool to see at our own level and at the big level to have it go so well. Um, and it made me excited to, you know, seek out some more. I mean, I guess uh, I should say I, there was a short shrift to uh, Steve Herner. I did get to go to his, his doubles narrative. Uh, and I think I've seen some of what he's talked for his event and I think he's getting fired up. So I, I'm excited for more narrative events. Yeah. I think for me, uh, the feedback at the end was, uh, like it was all pretty positive. Uh, but one of the things that I definitely took to heart was that he pushed more into the narrative, right? So uh, the way that I set up the boards, we were running into a building. When we're inside the building, negative one to shooting, or like they expected more rules to actually make that work. Uh, and so that was an interesting thought that I hadn't thought of. But uh, the other thing was you're talking about the brass skulls. Well, if the brass skulls are coming down through the roof, should we have rules for what happens when the building starts collapsing, right? So maybe using some of the Shadespire rules for the terrain and stuff like that. So thinking about what would happen in game and trying to just put a couple little flavor rules in there to help people enjoy the narrative a little bit more, right? Because having a, a flaming skull coming down and killing Tarkos is kind of a cool visual. <clears throat> but if you're inside of a building and the flaming skull comes down and kills Tarkos and then like, you know, the marble or whatever from the roof comes down and kills several units around him. Well, that's a really, you know, like that's a really interesting narrative story. You're not going to get in a match play game. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Letting the, and that's something that Steve Herner does really well is letting the tables play, um, you know, that sort of thing. So I think it's definitely something to, uh, to kind of encourage that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Aaron, any yeah. thoughts from you? Um, you guys covered a lot of it. So I think that, is great. Just the only question right, I have is Rummy. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, so moving on. No, just uh, so uh, internationally, Chaos One, right? Chaos One, our event two. Like, was that the case? Yeah. yeah. Not to mm-hmm. not to bring up bad memories, but yeah. <laughs> so there you go, Damien. So you say what you do differently moving. is not let Chaos win next time. Yeah, dude, I, I I wasn't playing for the uh, for the objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Double down on the destruction. Yeah, well, I mean, that would have been helpful, sure. Yeah. <laughs> for me, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, as I mentioned before, like having having this vision for something that could be simple enough for people to run all over the country, all over the world, and give enough for, you know, but, but meaty enough for people to be willing to step up into it and run an event, um, that idea, I think, was overwhelmingly proven uh to 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 be able to happen like it didn't you didn't need a, a 30 page rule book or pack to run a narrative event you know uh it was a tight rule set 
um, you know, it certainly could do some things to, to, you know, refine it even more or whatever. Um, I think the, and, and obviously the group that we had to work with, uh, Davey and I, and, and the whole neon group that I've mentioned over and over in the pack has listed everybody that was a part of that, like everybody put in and, and gave a piece of themselves for it. And, and that was really cool. Um, one of the things I think I would do differently from that standpoint, uh, I think, you know, one of the things that, that had some difficulty is when you're working with so many great creatives and trying to come and, and fit down, uh, get every, all those ideas down to something, um, you know, really, they can really go out and, and, and do that. So I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to doing differently uh, for next year is have kind of more of the community have points of input on what might happen next <laughs> with uh, Aristrat. Uh, having more, uh, and, and we're doing it some in our local campaign stuff, but how do we get the community to feel ownership of that story, feel ownership of the event? Um, and, you know, maybe even, you know, like you said, you know, maybe some more times of war that we could add on top of it, et cetera, that are just okay to use, you know, that sort of thing. But maybe it's something that the community can, can uh, if we put out, get the pack out earlier, <laughs> maybe the community can add things to it that could, people could pick and choose from to make an even more enriching experience. So, and something that I would look forward to next year is, um, uh, yeah, uh, just kind of opening it up and having even more community involvement. So, right so we've been speaking about this skirmish campaign kind of back and forth. Uh, so Eric, do you want to kind of go through and elaborate a little bit more on that now? Yeah. So the skirmish rules came out. I hadn't had time to play with them much. Um, Paul, you, myself, and, and you know, Davey played some, uh, Aaron, you played some of the Hinterlands um, a rule set that, that Bottle had come out with and loved that Hinterlands rule set. It's yeah. uh, really cool, and he took a lot of uh, feedback from our playtesting and stuff. So definitely feeling a kinship there. I hadn't played much of the Skirmish, so I wanted an opportunity to play the Skirmish rule set. But I think, like a lot of people, and I, you know, we talked a little bit briefly about uh, Vince and Tom, from the Warhammer Weekly, you know, there's maybe not always the feeling that there's enough meat on the bones for people that have played other skirmish rule sets. And so they, they're coming out with some, some more meat to a campaign system. Uh, but before that happened, I was just toying with the idea of, I wanted to, as I do sometimes, I just say, hey guys, let's play this. Uh, I want, um, well, actually going back before that, Aaron, you and I had talked a little bit uh, previously about trying to add more of an RPG element to the game yeah. um, to, to, you know, kind of like somewhere between um, uh, the Warhammer quest that has mm. a very like tight linear story that you just have to follow yeah. and the tabletop, um, you know, age of Sigmar um, and skirmish where you've you're just kind of here's a game play it here's a game play it here's a game play it like something that links them together but in a way that grows things but with a gm element so mm-hmm. kind of blah 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 throwing a bunch of stuff in there well like D like had it start from like wargaming if i understand correctly so yeah. like it, it obviously mm-hmm. has a lot of connections there so yeah so an inspiring way to create these warbands these skirmish warbands but in a way that their stories keep growing so that there's there's a beefier campaign element uh, so I initially tried to try and mash skirmish gameplay with the hinterlands. Uh, there's a realm masters kind of rule set or suggestions on how to start a, a realm masters campaign. So 
Sam had already had also had the idea of have one of your player, one of the players be a GM and have the other players kind of have these little war bands that are, they're running through a storyline. So um, I kind of started there. I was like, Hey, would you guys be interested in doing something like this? And uh, uh, resoundingly, you all said, huzzah. I'm only was, interested in doing was, stuff like this. It was really weird because we weren't at a Ren fair or anything. Yeah. Huzzah is all over the place. Sure. Uh, and um, uh, so obviously when you get people excited and the trick with any campaign is how do we, how do we all keep that excitement? How does it, you know, push our hobby? How does it, um, you know, push our getting together and being able to play games, roll dice and, and uh, drink some port, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> what is it? You know, these are things that just kind of are, are the, they facilitate all the other things that surround the hobby that you're hanging out with friends and that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, so it began as, as such. Um, we decided to start a campaign. It's set in the world of Shadespire. We're testing out the skirmish rules uh, as far as the gameplay on the board um, and how you pick your warbands, how you build your warbands, etc. cetera. Um, and uh, I am acting as, as the GM. And so I've got a, a story behind the screen, as it were, uh, that I am feeding to you all. Um, and uh, so... Uh, in the in upcoming uh, episodes, we're going to share more about the story, more about our warbands, etc., or your warbands, not mine. Um, although there's characters and stuff that I'm developing, NPCs in the nomenclature um, that I can share about. Um, but uh, one of the things that, uh, well, so let me ask you guys what you thought when when I first uh, approached you with that. Besides Huzzah, uh any doubts? Any any you know thoughts of like this is never going to work? Uh, anything like uh, you know I sick and tired of hanging out with Eric. Why is he making me do this? Sure, <laughs> and it was kind of a forced thing. Um, and admittedly, I, another huzzah sprung up after that, after the first one you just didn't hear. Um, but uh, I, I'm actually spending a little bit of my free hobby time also playing like D and D and different RPGs. But that doesn't get any of my models painted. So when you brought this up, it was a great idea to both double down on like my AOS stuff and my like you know, scratching that RPG itch. So it was a perfect melding. Um, if you can kill two birds with stone, one stone, you might as well do it. Um, so says the Saigor. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, I was gung-ho in that regard. Plus, um, I don't, I'm not necessarily a match play kind of guy. It seems very, um, what's the word? Like, uh, like, like very exhibition. I understand too. I'm not good with numbers. Um, it's very like, ex, ex, uh, What's the word? You just two basketball teams play just ex yeah, exhibition. Ex- exhibition. exhibition. I kept wanting to say expedition, which is a different thing. Entirely. What you're saying is that you don't play match play for anything but money. Yeah, or- essentially. <laughs> yeah. Pink slips. Uh, pink slips, right? No, also pink slips. Oh God, I can win some cool <laughs> I'd get real good real quick. Um, <laughs> but I was wanted something more lasting, like something that that stuck around a little bit longer, which I mean inherently is what narrative play is and what we talk about for the most part. Um, and this was just another way to sort of flesh that out and just something that stuck around longer um that appeals to me yeah for get? me sorry uh for me it, i definitely like the role-playing aspect i used to do role-playing a, a lot more when i was younger and kind of fell out of it did more board games uh, but that's something i've definitely missed a lot of so i was very happy to have that aspect being included in this campaign for sure uh, for me, it was a, a cool way to stretch the idea of what narrative gaming for Age of Sigmar is. You know, we we just finished the narrative event. Eric and I kind of toyed with some 
you know, our own little narrative campaign back in eighth. Uh, and this seemed like, all right, you know, like we've, and to be fair, like we, when coalescence was designed, it was designed as almost, almost a hybrid, you know, like it was, we've talked about, there's not necessarily narrative gaming and match play and, you know, they are way apart from each other. Like there's a spectrum anywhere in between. And so this is just, uh, further down the narrative end of the spectrum, um, really kind of pushing it as far as it, as, as we might be able to go. Um, so I, I, I thought it was cool to see something new, um, as far as that. Um, cool. And just well, an additional, just another way to look at it is like, I'm, I'm pretty into the, like the fluff of, of the world. Right. And this is an opportunity to sort of get down at the ground level, um, mm-hmm. like on an individual basis or a war band basis to like sort of insert yourself into it. Um, you don't necessarily get a lot of that, but just you're setting up two armies across from each other and, you know, playing out of the box. Um, AOS, it, playing the skirmish and playing this this hybrid um, really gets, you know, put, puts puts you in the role, puts you in the driver's seat of, you know, your your general and then making decisions as he would make decisions or, or she. Yeah. Or she. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, and for me, again, kind of same way I approached coalescence is that I'm, I'm skeptical that we're going to be able to sustain this, right? Um, and so... <laughs> I know that our in, in a campaign in general, like we've we've done some campaigns, and like every campaign, they sort of can peter out if something else comes along, or if you, you get into some uh, something different or whatever. But you think of like RPGs, you think of Dungeons and Dragons, you think of the height of that right now, and those games and those groups can play together for for years, mm-hmm. right? And so um, you know, it's something that can I think can help s- stick us with it a little bit longer. Um, and so there's a few things that I pulled from there as far that, that are a little bit different than what hinterlands and what um, skirmish, you know, a little bit of both. So what, so think of your, your average, um, you know, RPG party, you know, your, your adventuring group. Uh, and there's four of you, it's the three of you and our friend Kenny, and each of you has a hero and that hero um, has brought along a war band and uh, that, all your hero and your war bands all together, all four of you make up your party. Um, and while you will be experiencing this adventure together and you will need each other to kind of, you know, uh, sum is greater than the, or the whole is greater than some of its parts. I don't need anybody. Yep. You, but you'll also be in, in some instances competing. Right. And, and so, you know, like, you know, can I throw this, can I dodge this hero or this, bad guy and make so-and-so deal with it instead of me right can i snake this treasure um you know and and you know get out before everyone you know everyone else um you know i'm fulfilling some obligations you know whatever but then you know like kind of creating some tensions and some that sort of stuff but um but but it being something that you're still going through a larger arc together so there can be these um and so i'm i'm coining it cooperative cooperation so (laughs) And if our lot. silver tower experience is anything to go by, there's no way anything can go wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> so one time my priest needed some experience and everyone was hogging it. So I went ahead and opened a door. That's all I did. If it just would have healed, like your yeah. your one and only job. Yeah. yeah. You had one job. <laughs> and it's and it wasn't getting, opening doors. Yeah. Wasn't getting XP evidently. Uh, <laughs> so um so there's that element. The other thing I want this to be too is something that's very simple. Um, again, like Coesland, it's trying to find that simple element, something that will be easy for you guys, like not a ton of 
administration, not a ton of administration for me. Um, and there's no, like, unlike a D and D that has like a lot of like character sheets or, or, um, stat blocks that tell you exactly how much XP to give or, you know, that sort of stuff to grow. There's nothing like that for AOS. Um, why do I have to fill out a character sheet? <laughs> What's that? Then why did I have to fill out a character sheet? Well, we ended up changing that, right? Yeah, we started okay. with this character sheet. We started, I tried to use the skirmish uh, sheet or a template based on the skirmish sheet that's provided. Um, and, and what I tried to, you know, but it didn't, that in itself didn't have anything narrative about it either, which mm. is interesting. Sure. Um, so, um, and, and one of the things I'll, I want to mention too, I know that um, Warhammer Weekly, Vince and Tom, they've got some things coming out and I'm excited to see those and I'm really wanting to test some of those out. So use this group to do some play testing. Um, uh, but I came up with something that I don't know is a part of what they're doing or not. Um, and it's really focused around the renown idea. Um, so in skirmish, um, every model has a renown value and it, it's really, I think as far as I can tell, it's just a fancy way of saying these are the points, you know, back in mm -hmm. wartime, it was how many crowns, right. In, yeah. uh, um, other things, in other games, it's how many credits or whatever. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a currency. I really wanted to take that and amp it up a bit. And so, um, in, in this campaign, Renown is literally the reputation of your group, right? And denoted by a number. Um, so a hero that starts off at 25 Renown, right, is, is a pretty um, well-regarded character within its faction. Um, and so it has a reputation. And, uh, and then, you know, um, we're starting off with 25 Renown, et cetera. And so you get those in there. But what happens when... Uh, you uh, beat a, a, a level renown spell. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm speaking it. I can't be speaking it wrong. Come on. <laughs> you would think so. <laughs> uh, um, so, so you've got this renown, this 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 number, and as you accomplish um, uh, obstacles, so through a battle plan, so um, you know, take them, take the four. Uh, warbands as a party through a preset battle plan at the end of that depending on their uh, major win minor win etc they're going to either uh, they may earn a certain number of renown and that's a growth of reputation and what that means instead of saying hey you can just spend this here 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 what they're doing is justifying that what happens is when your renown goes up when your reputation goes up people are drawn to you so you may have uh, a new warband member say, "Hey, I'd really love to come and work with you, or, or you know, follow you." You know, your your hero has the leadership or ability now to to the charisma even to have more people underneath them and follow his or her orders. Um, as you also as you gain artifacts, if you pick up this you know goblet of such and such because and this is set in Shadespire. The flyblown chalice? No. Yeah. The fly <laughs> um, that's something that would get around. People would kind of hear about it, and therefore your renown would go up again. If you are a warband worthy of carrying such an artifact, that's going to increase your renown. And then, again, more people may follow you, or um, uh, there's going to be some other things um, like uh, maybe uh, – well, I'll talk about it in a minute. But So your renown grows, and you have to justify it through story elements. Um, you're, you're bringing in a new warband member 
is based off of things that are happening in the game. And what I hope is I know you guys have like, you know, Davey, I know you have some Arcanauts waiting to yeah. join up, but yeah. I'm hoping too, that we get into a situation where we're like, you know what? An Arcanaut's not really going to fit into that story because what happened here is so cool. I've got to bring a fire slayer in, or I've got to, you know, something like that because you're like, you know, this is the type of character that, that would have joined my group as a result of X. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the, the story influences some of that. Now, I know you guys all each have some baked in stories and I've created some space um, for you to bring in more of the same kind of thing, right? It's, it'll work. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I want you to work with your, what's, what inspires you. Um, so what, instead of a character sheet, and I'll show some examples of it down the road. We're still, again, all this is kind of experiment, experimentation, but the, the sheet we're working on, the renown sheet is kind of a, a list, a journal. And each entry uh, is, hey, this is, you know, the first entry is uh, such and such a hero stands up and decides to quest towards Shadespire. Uh, and he has a certain amount of renown. And with him, and then he, he or she brings along this, um, you know, henchman and then this henchman, etc. cetera. Um, and as you accomplish new things that give renown, you can you write in an explanation of what just happened. And as you add in new members of your Warven, you tell a quick little, like, two-sentence story of, why they joined or what happened. Um, and so now we start creating these, this little cake uh, lasagna of, <laughs> of narrative. Uh, Seven bean dip. Um, that's exactly. a lasagna. Are we going to get uh, fed throughout this? Yeah. <laughs> cool. We were last time. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, so now the, the other thing, so, so there's this, hopefully this really simple mechanic of, you know, of gaining renown. And uh, bringing more, you know, what's it, what does that renown mean for the composition of your warband and your strengths and weaknesses, et cetera. But then where a, uh, I know that Vince and, and uh, Tom are working on kind of a, a wound and injury type of thing. What we're going to be working out is kind of a, a loss of renown. So rather than individual... Um, now we may play test with what they're coming out with. Um, but right now what we're thinking is instead of looking at your individual models and saying, this one's got, a, you know, an injury, so it's minus one, this, or this one's, um, got less wounds now, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Things that would make you want to get rid of them right now, your, your renown goes down. If you, if you don't, if you get a major loss in a scenario, your renown goes down and maybe one of your one of your warband members says you know what i this wasn't the party i thought it was and they leave right and so you, you they'll be back <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't would dare they might be you know they just might be um and then another mechanic and this gets into kind of the rpg side of things is that i have the ability as the game masters to present the 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 party with quests so maybe they meet an npc and the npc says well if you do this thing for me and they maybe add it as what's ten that? boar hearts, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what we're gonna have this is kind of like a um, a risk uh, mechanic where uh, the whole party, as a whole, or an individual uh, warband, could wager part of their renown and say, you know what, I will risk my reputation on being able to do this. And if they come back and if they go out and do this and bring it back, they could be successful and they would gain more renown for doing so. Or they could say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to end up doing this. And so then they lose the renown for having said they were going to do something and not being able to complete it. Um, and so 
this is an, this interesting mechanic of uh, growth and renown and reputation, but then also risking it and p potential of of losing it and have like enemies take advantage of that and you know opportunities slip through their fingers because maybe they're not they don't have enough reputation to really be given such responsibility or opportunities. Um, so that's my way too long of an explanation of it. What did you guys, what are you guys thinking about that? Uh, you guys better not make me lose renown. Is, is I think the gist of what we're, we got going here. Well, you need to drum better. That's all I got to say. Uh, impossible. I'm drumming the best. Um, but uh, no, I, I like the system. I like the risk and reward. Um, I feel like, I don't know, maybe some of the uh, campaigns that I've been in in the past, there isn't often enough risk or like, you know, you're, you're fighting with sort of padded, padded gloves. And so I like knowing that you can lose, but you don't, you're not afraid of dying. You're not afraid of, of, you know, being eliminating your war band. You're just losing some part of it, losing some renown. So there's, there's risk involved, but like, you're not risk at risk of losing everything. Um, it's a good uh, middle ground that I don't, the, you don't see all that often. One of the tenets of the Karadrian code is there's no reward without risk. So there you go. It is, it is an amendment, I believe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I've got your uh, your hero's approval then? Absolutely. Yeah. Kept us alive through the age of chaos. <laughs> uh, my my, my uh, Tarvis, he doesn't see anything as a risk anymore. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. It's all reward. Success. Yeah, all reward. Up and down. I mean, it's all fighting, so it's all reward, right? Sure. I mean, he should be so lucky. <laughs> no, everybody's just following Loki here. That's all that's going on. Everybody just knows that he's the smartest. So, you know, he has a system. He's good. Says so the guy who hears voices in a compass. <laughs> so as you Do can you see, compass, huh? uh, as you can see, I mean, obviously I've got some uh, all in, uh, you know, uh, friends here that are really getting into the narrative. But that's what I'm hoping too, is it like a D&D &D game, right? Where, where people are, are getting to their characters quite a bit, tell the stories, really internalize it like you guys are definitely starting to like we were able to put in enough kind of back and forth and conversation before um our first um kind of get together that on the day of you guys were already playing the part and kind of feeling it and, and getting into it which is really cool um what what we've already played the first um campaign night um i would like us to get a little bit further down the road before we start sharing uh our um, Warbands kind of backstories and information. I want to wait until our journals get a little bit deeper. Our our seven layer dip becomes like a twelve layer dip. Um, what are the five extra layers? They're, they're cataphron souls. Oh, you know. Cinnamon powdered shade glass. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, and that way too is it. Uh, I also want to make sure, like I said, a little skepticism is I want to make sure that this is something that we enjoy playing, that we enjoy doing. It seems like it's a pretty good bet. Um, but, uh, you know, can we sustain it? Can we keep going with it? Is it something that, you know, that we're going to have on? And, uh, you know, um, if we can, then this will be a regularly, um, you know, a regular part of the Mortal Realms multicast is that we'll share a little bit of the progress of the campaign, tell stories of where we're at, what's going on, what we've learned, what you guys have learned. Um, I'm also hoping to do some uh, individual videos about and uh, get into more specifics about the um, what I am coining as the uh, renown or ruin um, campaign system. Um, yeah, I'm just going to start branding it right out of the gate because that's what I do. TM, um, TM, TM, TM. TM, TM, TM. 
Um, and, uh, and, you know, look forward to sharing that with you guys, uh, hopefully on this channel, but through some individual conversations, uh, to the camera, but maybe I'll bring some of you guys on to, to chat about things. And, um, I'd love to showcase your war bands in, in better, in better ways, but, uh, um, et cetera. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see if this multimedia empire gets off the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, anything, any other thoughts you guys want to chat or talk about the, the campaign that we're embarking in um i'm excited yeah tune in next, next time yeah next one's next one's scheduled right we'll, yes, we're on the books next mm-hmm. week right Ooh, i hope so yeah right. my only thought was just uh it's really nice to have a specific place in aos now right with releasing the skirmish they, they specifically released a city right yeah. it's an actual place instead of an eight realms and maybe there's something in the eight realms there's a bunch of buildings there's a, like it is a setting a very specific setting right now. So it's nice to be able to have space to breathe within that. Uh, so, yep. I think it lends itself really well to what we're doing here. What you specifically are doing here. Thank you. No, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Having Shadespire. I mean, and some of it is just wanting to kind of like sink into the skirmish book a bit. Hopefully we can do that and, and be able to, to play our campaign, but have some feedback on the skirmish rule set as well. So looking um, forward to telling and hearing some good, Stories. Stories. Interesting. Well, why don't we jump over? <laughs> why don't we jump over to the story phase, guys? I, I just I spent all morning reading, so like I really want to. Before I forget it all, um, you want to talk about the the story phase? I don't want to just talk about it. I want to get into it. He wants to get into it. All right, the story phase. Ooh. Is that how you used to do it? That was nice. Uh, yeah, all right, all right. So in the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. Uh, so I believe today we're going to be talking about Hallowed Knights, colon, Plague Garden, Josh Reynolds. Um, I, I think you said it at the top, but um, you can find the hardback uh, in stores, um, but you can go to blacklibrary.com and, and get all the different formats. I think I, uh, later in the year there's going to be a Kindle version or a paperback version, iBooks, whatever you want, you can you can get it. Um so let's let's get into it. Um, what I wanted to start actually, uh, th- this book is great, and if we've been following the Hallowed Knight story, to my mind, um, this is kind of like a season two of the of the series of the Hallowed Knights. If the Realm Gate Wars was season one, it very much is a a continuation of that storyline. And so, if this was a TV show, what what would the previously on Hallowed Knights? What would that show? What what does a, a reader need to know about going in going into this book? I'll give you an example. Uh, Gardas got killed by somebody. I didn't actually read that book. <laughs> great, chased- great previously on. We're just cumulative. This is we're all contributing here. Anyways, oh. he, he, oh. he was he was killed Poor at one animal. point. Uh, yeah, he was killed at, by I think maybe a great and clean one, possibly. Torbuk? Yeah, we th- we think he's been killed twice. Um, he was oh. about to be consumed, so he went into the. Uh, realm of nurgle already which is significant and and fought his way out alive which was you know a spectacular thing and then later later in the campaign to find um alariel he was about to be consumed again uh by a great unclean one and uh one of his fellows uh managed to pick up it might have been rasmus um but uh picked up a bolt storm crossbow and shot him in the back of the head to reforge him um before he was before his soul was consumed Sure. Uh, so save him by Ooh. killing him. Headshot. We, yeah. so we also saw. 
What's that? Go ahead. I said, so that's yeah, the yeah. scene uh, our previous. That, yep, that happened. Yep. Um, and then uh, I think the second <laughs> time he died, he was fighting on the the great uh, the green great torque. Um, was in a prolonged battle there, uh, and managed to bait uh, the spider fangs into um, pushing oh! the cargo back. But awesome. in order to, in order to do that, he had to end up jumping off the side of the the great torque, I believe. So uh, we know Gardas has died at least twice already, and he's we'll we'll see more. He's showing some of the results of that. Sure. Uh, also, previous in a previously book we know or previous book we know that Torglug, the despised, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Destroyed by uh, Salson Prime yep. and proceeds to get reformed. Oh, audio cut out. Oh, no. I was making a good point, too. Um, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I know. It's true. So, uh, But uh, also previously on, we'll see the scene of Torglug the Despised uh, getting defeated, uh, incinerated, I don't know, just destroyed by the Salson Prime, mm-hmm. right? And proceeding to be uh, reforged into a Stormcast. Um, also going to play a big part of the, the book here yep. as well um what, what other important facets are there so that's yeah tornus uh a knight uh venator yeah. um and he has appeared in the realmgate wars at the end the god beasts where he was uh working um uh, in uh garan and and uh, what was it the the, the shoals or the sky shoals yeah sky shoals um and you know was able to zero out and, and take out a glory to great unclean one that was plugging and, and, you know, kind of muddying those waters um, and was pretty fierce there as well. Uh, he, I mean, he made it all over the place chasing. Um, uh, well, Rot's bond uh, took him out. So. Yeah. So chasing some of those, those Nurgle baddies um, getting revenge. Um, so, yep. Sure. Uh, furthermore, um, we've seen, what is it? Orius, Orias, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry, wrong guy. Um, but Tarsus the Bullheart uh, yeah. in the Nagash audio dramas. It's a small part in this particular book, but we want to know that he, he's been stolen, I guess, by Nagash and his Lord Relictor uh, Ramus is trying to, or was trying to trying to help save him and was on a quest to sort of uh, chase down um, the vampire. What's his yeah. name? Manfred. Sure. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, those are from the audio dramas and and yeah, Torgus uh, went to find Nagash, and he found Nagash, uh, and Nagash kept him as a as a prize. He, you know, uh, kind of smote him, and and his his soul did not uh, reach back. And that was, I think, one of the first times that it happened in these stories. Um, and yeah, Ramus has been on a, a path of vengeance through the realm of beasts, and and uh, and back, um, and trying to chase down uh, Manfred, and then uh, now. Um, as his wishes, uh, he could be going back to get him. Yeah, exactly. So those are some, I thought, key key points, key That's information right. that somebody needs to know going into it. I, I don't know if there's any more at this yeah. point. Uh, Tigris. Is it Tigris? The oh, Tigris. Tigris, yeah. Tigris. The prosecutor Prime. Yeah. Uh, had uh, gotten uh, a little bit of a, uh, was it a, a rat spell? Yeah, he got turned into. It sounded like the the old uh, dreaded thirteenth from prior editions, where he got turned into a weird rat thing. And Alariel, uh, it, it was left kind of vague whether Alariel kind of ended him permanently or not. But uh, uh, he popped back up again later in uh, Wardens of the Ever Queen, and it was not clear exactly what happened. And here, uh, Josh Reynolds spells it out for us: was uh, he's one of the first to have been reforged by someone other than Sigmar. So Alariel reforged him. Sure, uh, I suppose. Also, to be clear, is that Torglug, uh, the despised, and Gardas and Grimm, 
uh, and the, all the Hallowed Knights throughout the uh, Realmgate Wars were fighting against each other. Each other were the um, the antagonists and protagonists. Um, yeah. So they, you know, direct throughout that space. So Tornus now a Hallowed Knight, um, a Knight Venator, you know, uh, and then you know Gardas, you know. How, so this and this is where our story begins. Yeah. Um, so let, we could probably just dive into it. Um, maybe we start talking about what, what are, where are we dealing with? Like, where, what's the, the setting here of this, this book? So to... we start in Azir, and uh, we are kind of in a reforging place. It's kind of like a, lack of a better term, kind of a, a, a staging room or space for the Stormcast. And we're locked into Gardas, and he's uh, doing some sword play. Um, but he's also kind of um, being haunted by some of the visions of his past, of the recent past. Not necessarily him prior to becoming a Stormcast, but, um, you know, with uh, uh, with the, his recent events in the Garden, etc. Um, and uh, so we start with him. Uh, some friends come around him. Zephycles, who is an astral Templar, um, uh, which are known to be, you know, very kind of beastly, et cetera. Um, we meet Sister Cassandora, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, and throughout this book, um, from the, you know, leaders, all, well, actually throughout the ranks, um, and some of our, this Sister Cassandora is a Lord Celestant as well. Um, female Stormcast abound here, from the mm -hmm. Judicators to the Liberators to Prosecutors to... Uh, night level, etc. Um, their brothers and sisters are being that that brothers and sisters terms are being used abound here. So uh, Josh Reynolds does a fantastic job of just making it a part of the tapestry um, that 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 men and women uh, are fighting side by side here, uh, which is really cool. Um, we uh, so there's this uh, there's kind of this exchange and that they need to be going to something. Um, but then we uh, we also get introduced to Lord Celestine Silas, also a hallowed knight, um, and uh, speaking with his Lord Venator, who we learn is Tornus. So Tornus is working with, uh, um, uh, or Knight Venator is, is working with Silas. And they're also on their way to um, this place together. And they're, they're all meant, so we've learned that other hallowed knight um, officers uh, for lack of a better term, leadership are working their way towards the sepulcher of the faithful, which is a mausoleum in honor of the quote unquote, truly dead. Um, and, uh, was that? Okay. Um, and so this mausoleum is something that every Stormcast host has. So it's just that theirs is named the sepulcher of the faithful. Um, so not, uh, not unique except for in name. Um, and uh, there's a ceremony, uh, and this ceremony is in honor of Tarsus the Bullheart, who uh, we just spoke about, who's in the grasp of, of Nagash. Um, what's interesting here is that there's a little bit of politics going on. Uh, for all intents and purposes, Tarsus has not, he's certainly not returned to Azir, but it's also said that he's not necessarily dead, that he's, he's held uh, there. Um, but, uh, but this is a place that, that they hold this ceremony and uh, Sigmar has asked for them to hold this ceremony 
Um, and so they take a spike and they bash it into this, this stone. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and there's a number of other spikes here um, that have already been put into it. But again, these are lost. Uh, the idea is that they're never going to return. Um, we when you uh, talk politics, you know, what we're yeah. talking about here is understandably Ramus, who is the uh, relictor for yeah. the bull hearts. Uh, he's not on board with writing them off. Like to, to him, this is Sigmar saying, you know, we're going to write off uh, Tarsus. Yep. We're not getting him back. And so he's trying to find someone to go uh, against Sigmar's wishes. He's looking to mount a, a rescue mission, basically. Well, and yeah. it's surprising to me because given what we know the rest of the book and how like to the, to the, yeah. the bitter end, they're willing to go to like rescue somebody and not even a yeah. little but a, a, just a lowly Castellan. Um, I'm, I'm surprised no one took him up on his offer. And it's, I mean, this book obviously is about the Hell Knights and Still Souls in Nurgle, but like that point like really stuck with me. Um, yeah, it, but, it had to have been intentional, right? Like, there's, no, there's, I'm sure. You know, so, right. uh, so I, would, I mean, and I would say, I mean, uh, because we don't, at this point in the book, we don't know what happens, right? Um, we only know that Tarsus has been captured and that he's held there and that Sigmar has not let uh, Ramus uh, pers- pursue this because Nagash is a potential ally, right? Um, well, with friends also, like these, huh? What's that? <laughs> Well, and with friends like these, who needs enemies? <laughs> right, right. And and it, you do have to look at it in this point. It was he does ask Gardas, um, and what they say here is that he asked everybody else, and then Gardas last, uh, because if Gardas had said no, nobody else would have said yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but Gardas is like, why would I? Why would I go against Sigmar? Right? Why would I? That's not something we should do. Sure. So him at this point of Rasmus asking him this is is not someone who would go willingly to face a mm-hmm. god to get mm-hmm. one soul back. Right. And I think this is a really interesting point, is that Gardas is positive that this is exactly what he's supposed to be doing at this point in time, right? When he asks them, he's like, no, this is, what I'm, this is what I know the approach will be. This is what I know is supposed to be going on right now. Mm-hmm. That, that becomes, I think, a theme later on in the book as we're, we're exploring that idea. Um, but the, the mausoleum itself is very interesting for me because it's basically like a prisoner of war memorial. But yeah. you know they're still out. There's at least some feeling that they're still out there. And this is something that I had not really seen or at least you know been exposed to in the Age of Sigmar fiction of the idea of there are lost souls even in this new reforged uh, Stormcast idea. You know, I know people have been uh, taken or whatever, but I always thought it was the understanding that they would at some point be rescued, right? Like something would happen. But this is definitely a nail in the coffin of being like, nope, we're just literally going to say they've done their duty. We're moving on. No. It's an now, interesting. Now, I think uh, something to really make sure we spend time on up here is that we get the very first meeting between Tornus and Gardas uh, since uh, Tornus has um, been reforged. And Silas uh, makes had um, came over to introduce Tornus and ask that Gardas take him on his next mission, which is planned to go down to Giran and join back with Grim, which he hasn't since he he died in the um, in in finding Alarial. Um, what did you guys uh, think about that kind of first meeting? I think. Gardas behaved the way you'd expect him to. Like he, he's a he's a class act through and through. Um, and so 
if it would have gone any worse, I would have been disappointed. I think they behaved the way that you'd like expect the characters to do, which I guess is a weird way to praise it, but um, I, I liked it. They they talk a lot about uh, uh, Tornus being, you know, he's still apart from the rest of the Hallowed Knights, um, and especially given his history as Torglug. Uh, he's not actually, and it, it mentions that he's not the first to, he's not the only one to have uh, been reforged after uh, after having been devoted to the Chaos Powers. And uh, that's actually briefly alluded to in one of the uh, Call of Archeon stories. Uh, just in a passing mention. So he wasn't even the first that we Which uh, one? saw as readers. Which one? Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll talk to you offline about it. We'll, we'll keep it spoiler free for people and keep wrap around back around to it. But, uh, Good call. Um, but I, I was thinking about another reason that uh, I'm thinking about. So how the Knights are defined as the storm host where every member of them are someone who's called out for Sigmar's aid uh, at some point before, you know, before becoming reforged did did uh did tornus actually do that so this is this is my question to you right Um, Uh, the only time it might happen was when he was down uh because he was the defender of the life wells and he was thrown in a a awful pit for like 76 days and on the 77th day he emerged as torglug so maybe he called out there but this is potentially another reason uh that he's set aside well and I would say I think in the in the last um, his last moments as Torglug, there were I think there were moments of awe that he yeah, he true. had of the of the Celestine Prime in the power that he had and wishing that he himself had that power too, thinking that Nurgle was the, the provider of that, but maybe not right. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is because the I mean because the Hallowed Knights are the faithful. I mean the question here is, does Torglug have faith in whom? Does he have faith just because he got, you know, cleansed? Does that mean he no longer has faith in Nurgle? Um, or do, who's, who does he have more faith in? And that's what everyone's questioning. Yeah. Is, does he have faith? Well, uh, everyone except for Gardas, right? Gardas is like, he's reforged. He was Sigmar. That's yep. all there is to it. He's good enough for Sigmar, right? so he's good enough for me, I think. Exactly. Which is, which is, is his own life. faith in a way, right? Like, that, that's yep. his faith. Yeah. Well, and, and Sigmar interrupts this kind of gathering of the Hallowed Knights, um, kind of where after the after the ceremony, they would go and have the meat and cheese platters, uh, <laughs> talk about amongst each other about, hey, try and be pleasantries and stuff like that. Like in a church basement. Sigmar, yep. Sigmar Love comes in basement. and asks everybody to leave but Gardas and Tornus. And he reveals to Gardas that he's asked him to take Tornus so that he might demonstrate what it, what it means to treat Tornus as um, one of theirs, right? Um, and, and lead by example. Um, and uh, uh, we'll find out a little bit later, you know, uh, more insight into that. Meanwhile, down in Garan, Grim is uh, doing his thing. Um, there, you know, we, we get introduced to them slaying beasts and they're tracking the order of the fly to a stronghold. Um, and it's protected by a knightly order. So, uh, another case where, um, if you're wondering where the Bretts went, (laughs) they got corrupted by, uh, Nurgle and they are being of honor, uh, in the service of the Lord of flies. Although the really interesting point to me was that the knights themselves, are not mounted, right? Yeah. They so, not, they don't have horses. This isn't the first time we've seen these guys. They they uh they actually showed up at the end of the Sylvaneth Legends of uh, the Age of Sigmar Sylvaneth book, 
Josh Reynolds wrote uh, The Outcasts. And uh, he, many of these characters that are referenced, you know, Cousin Goral and all this, that uh, I think there was a, what do they call them? Uh, pallid Woes, Young Pallid Woes uh, was, was not seen from again. And, you know, these guys have, you know, honest uh, affection and uh, good memories of each other and all that sort of thing. Um, anyway, uh, so this, this order of the fly is, is really cool way of, uh, of talking about these dudes, but yeah. Um, so whether or not, you know, they're actually supposed to be Bretoni, you, you see a lot of those links because they are this knightly order. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then there's, there's kind of two characters, um, to get to know, um, there's Gatrog, uh, which is, he's a, he's a Duke of Festerfane. I kept wanting to say Dukey of Festerfane. <laughs> Uh, because it says he calls them duchy or something like that. Sure. That that would be the name of the realm. So a duke yep. uh, rules a duchy. Uh, oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. So to for Nurgle to be called a dukey is that's not right. <laughs> He'd probably take it as a compliment. Though. Yeah. Okay. So so I will just say he's the dukey of Festerfane. A little <laughs> um, he quested for part of his things. He quested for a drink from the Holy Flybone Blown Chalice. Um, and then his superior, whose name is Bubonicus, Bubonicus, and um, who actually did uh, drink from the flybone chalice of of the lady of the canker wall, canker something, yeah. canker who wall. is a, who is a daughter of of Nurgle, um, and so and they protect the third circle, um, which contains a cauldron and what is called the gate of weeds, so. Um, we know this or we get to know this, but, but Grim doesn't know this yet, um, that there is a realm gate here that has been warped, uh, that they are trying to um, kind of get active to start bringing in uh, demons from, that, that would be a direct line to the Garden of Nurgle. Um, so um, we get uh, some new people in here. We get a, a, a Knight Venator named Enyo, um, who's, the fastest and sharpest shot uh, of all the night venators uh, in the hallowed nights. They talk about this, sp- this pace, this castle is kind of like grown. Um, and uh, that uh, out of what grown out of what Seagum <laughs> uh, or no Sargassum. Uh, Sargassum. So we get Sargassum. So look it up. If you read this book, which you, we encourage that you do um, yeah. the, the Sargassum, you'll have to, you'll see it. And it's basically algae. Of sort, it's plant life. It's been hardened and grown into this. The other thing that's really crazy about how they built this place, the walkways <laughs> and the and the and the scaffolding, messed up. Living yeah. Sylvaneth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> imagine being wrapped in seaweed and then just like sitting there watching terrible things happen. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, having terrible things happen to you. <laughs> that's true. It's like uh, uh, dryad sushi. Oof. Um, and so then uh, they, um, so they're coming through, they're battling through um, and Grim and all of uh, the people need to, so there's this plan. They need to crash through. They need to get to this gate. They need to, to outwit uh, the, the, you know, they've got to siege this thing, right? They have to outwit the people that are, are guarding it. Um, and they do so um, not without obviously um, some crazy things happening. There's a moment where um, bail fire hits uh, a liberator it turns him into this crazy beast um, mm-hmm. in Chaos which spawn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I yeah they don't, well, they don't, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's pretty. I, I'm more there on this one. Yeah. Oh, I think you can throw chaos spawn at anything and it's a good, well, I, I think they explicitly but, say it, but um, 
I was interested in the beasts that were on the bridge itself, right? Because they were they seemed like something that was a little bit new to me. Oh, because the they had this they were going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I got two questions at this point, or two two points. One, um, they make it a point to say that Grim wants to move with speed, which I thought was interesting because he's historically. I mean, if you're a Lord Castellan, you're you're going to be the shield of your whatever war host or storm hosts or something like that but given that he's been thrust into this role not that he's being the lord celestine but he, he's taken that role on uh I, w- I would have imagined him to take that slow defensive route but instead he he wants to move at speed because he wants to whatever reason get, get outsmart them by by acting quickly um which yeah. i thought was a weird juxtaposition considering what his role typically is supposed to be he also wants to like have this place all cleaned up when gardas arrives yeah so, he's the president so yeah, there's definitely some haste there, but he also makes references often to his role versus Gardas's role. Mm-hmm. He is the shield, Gardas is the the sword. Sword. Um, yeah. And hey, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And he's excited for, well, as excited as Grim gets for Gardas <laughs> to be back, so they can play their roles again. Sure. He's been leading for too long. Yeah, he um, doesn't want this anymore. Uh, second, second question, real quick is is Balefire the equi- the Nurgle equivalent of Warp Fire? Like, I don't know that I've come across Balefire all that often. Um, yeah, yep. I think it might be a Josh Reynolds thing again. Like when when he had the the Knights of the Order, um, who were riding on horses at, in Outcast, they were using Balefire there. Uh, and I I don't know that I've seen it too much before that. So, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So I liked it. Um, yeah, so it had a very uh, mutative property to it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, they get through. So they manage to break through these spaces. Um, two things happen while they're breaking through here. Um, one, Gatrog, um, uh, I think, gets... There's oh, a big collapse, basically. He gets crushed under yeah. a bunch of stuff. He you know, throws his shield up at the last minute, but he's basically crushed under a pile of sargasso. Um, and then um, uh, Grim goes up against Bubonicus. Um, and basically on his own, no less. Like, yeah. And, and, um, spoiler, obviously this whole thing, if you don't know about what we do here, these are all spoilers. Um, <laughs> so he, he goes up against Bubonicus. He, through a, a little bit of a, you know, definitely a tight battle. Um, he ends up killing Bubonicus and Bubonicus falls forward into him and vomits up, uh, maggots and, and such that, fall into his mask, Grimm's mask, and even thinks he gets some down his throat. And he's not sure what to, you know, it's his throat's burning, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Hippocac really, time. Really important moment here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and so obviously, you know, Nurgle's... Should get himself tested. Disgusting. <laughs> um, but then this is also where uh, Morbus realizes then uh, that there is a corrupted gate here. Um, uh, I want to make another note. Um, there's another, so Ramus in, uh, in the, while they're up in Azir makes a point of talking about what price are we paying for this war? Right. Is the price too high? Um, and then again, down here, um, Atius is another, um, character that we, uh, a liberal prime that we get introduced to. And he also is starting to feel like, Hey, we're losing too many brothers and sisters. Um, and so this is, it feels like uh, not everybody's feeling this way, but there's a few voices that are starting to kind of feel like what's it worth to us? Like, you know, um, uh, who's going to, you know, who's going to rescue us kind of thing. Only the faithful. 
Oh, is that what you were doing? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, Grim realizes that they can kind of feel it, that they've been here before. They've been in this situation before, um, back at the Gate of Dawn. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, That's a place. Uh, and so they they felt this before. So Grim says, "You know what? I do gates. Gates are my thing. I'm going <laughs> to go down and find this gate. Um, you know, uh, Morbus, uh, the Lord Relictor. You take care of things here." Um, and uh, so they kind of split up. Um, at this point, uh, or just you know, the more fighting happens, uh, and then uh, Gardas and his retinue land. Boom. And they find they're kind of inside the citadel near the the, the cauldron, um, and uh, um, they yep. And so there's a number of characters we get introduced to here. Um, well, uh, there's uh, Kadok Kel, who's a, a Lord Aziros or Knight Aziros, who refers to himself often as the last Prince of Ekron, <clears throat> and uh, he's. Uh, so he's in flight, and, and uh, Tornus is uh, sent to follow with him. Um, Kadok obviously doesn't have a lot of love for Tornus. He's pretty cold to him, but he is very warm to killing things, and it's a little, <laughs> little bloodlusty. Yeah, um, he's definitely one of the least likable uh, Stormcast uh, I've read. Like he's he's pretty one of the most effective Stormcast that yeah, I've read. You know? Yeah, fair. Two different perspectives. Okay. Um, but we do get some insight into Tornus feeling uncomfortable with how how much, what Caddick is doing, right? Mm-hmm. Things that that um, Torglug would have easily done, but Tornus is not feeling great about it. Um, uh, there's some some more debate here um, between Tornus and Enyo about free will and duty, and do we have choices? Um, and that sort of thing, which is interesting. I don't know if you guys wanted to expound on that or found anything interesting there. Uh, well, in a, in a way, I feel like this is going to pro- maybe, I hope anyways, touch on maybe future storylines or future approaches, knowing that like, A, not all, every Stormcast is just lockstep with what Sigmar wants. And you remember when AOS first came out, one of the big complaints about Stormcast was that they were all very faceless, nameless, you know, individuals. Um, not only are we getting names, not only are we getting characteristics, but we can see how the different opinions can have about they can have about the way they're approaching things. Um, it, there's way more variety than I ever thought there was ever going to be in the the personalities of of these Stormcasts, and and I, I welcome it. Um, yeah, and I think. I mean, it plays into as we get along is like what what decisions are left up to them to make and what stuff is only are they only working on the directives of Sigmar um, or do they need to be able to make their own decisions, right? Or do some things, are, are they, do they have the capacity to do that? Um, um, then, um, Let's see. So one of the other things to mention uh, in here is that uh, Tornus um, sees a bunch of, and, and Tigris also, they s- see a bunch of slaves that have been captured in, um, you know, kind of like uh, hanging cages, etc. And so they spend some time freeing them. There's a sense too there of like, again, what's the cost? You know, if we win this battle, but we do nothing for these humans that are these slaves, then what are we fighting for? Yeah, was it worth um, it? So we need to take some time 
you know, to free them and, and, and get them out, you know, et cetera. And so they do that, which also means that in this battlefield, there are, it takes some of their resources, not only to free them, but also to protect them. Right. If they were to free them only to let them die, you know, that's mm -hmm. also not great. Right. Sure. <laughs> to put it simply. Yes. Uh, not great. Not great. Not great. <laughs> Could be better. Yeah. Uh, Room for improvement. So, uh, then we get, um, kind of, uh, we wrap up the surface battle. Um, everything's like up on the surface. Everything's almost done. There's uh, slaves are freed. Um, a lot of the order of the fly has retreated into boats and, you know, that have left and are out to sea. They're kind of cleaning up things here and there. Um, mm -hmm. We get a little bit of conversation between some of the humans. Uh, we meet Yara of Demesnus. And I think we learn that Gardas is uh, his, in his previous life was from Demesnus. Uh, sounds right so there's some yeah. connection there a long time ago though it yeah yeah far long ago um and so they um you know are kind of uh what they you know tornus is moving around trying to do some things and he pulls it he sees see some movement underneath some scaffolding um some uh sargassum and he goes down and he pulls it up i think we said and, it like two or three times now let's keep keep a tally and, and who pops it up who pops up from that uh, their wreckage Got something, something. Got, got rig. Gatrog. Yeah. Gatrog. Oh, I was close. So, yeah. I, I love this hard. guy. Like he's, he's, uh, I, I love the order of the fly in this, in this whole thing because they That's have this. And you know, one of the things Josh Reynolds is doing better than about anyone else is making, uh, making antagonists and villains that you have some chance of identifying with, which makes them that much more interesting. Uh, it means when they pop up, it's not just like, a, you know, uh, whatever finger waggling villain, like, ooh, ooh, I'm going to ruin the world. Like Gatrog really believes he's on the side of right. Like Nurgle is good because of these reasons, you know, like, because he's freed us from the tyranny of hope anyway, which is, doesn't come up in this particular scene. He comes up and he's like, Oh, thank you. I would have been trapped forever. Let me return the favor. And, you know, it starts, starts getting after him, you know, trying to, trying to fight him. Um, but, uh, it's just one of many scenes that I really enjoy Gatrog in, but he is, uh, surrounded outnumbered and uh right before he's killed uh because a caddock i think shows up and he's yep. i'm gonna straight run this guy through and saves tornus but tornus stays his hand uh and this is kind of the thing that we've seen him struggling with is you know we've been just tearing our way through here how many of these guys that were were just mercilessly ripping up or, or melting away uh could actually be it could actually be redeemed like I was. Um, and specifically he notices that uh, Gatrog here is able to, although it's quite painful to him, he's able to survive the light of uh, Kadok's beacon, uh, which is either an incredible amount of fortitude or denotes some other uh, possible remaining element of purity is, is the working theory that Tornus is going with, which he, yeah. he may detail a little more later. <clears throat> I think one of the things that Tornus did not expect was how, I don't know, gleeful or joyful that some of the Stormcasts were to be killing these Nurgle, right, right? right? I don't think he expected that, as it were, the the satisfaction and violence that he had as, you know, Torglug to show up again on the opposite side. Especially Kadok's character is very much the machine for how that moves forward, so. Sure, like he and, I, and we as the audience, I think, expected the Stormcast to be made of, you know, better stuff sometimes than... Yeah. That. so yeah so then uh, what they what they end up doing then is uh, chaining him up gatrog up 
uh, and kind of being ready to take him back to Azir or somehow get the Celestine Prime to smash him with a hammer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's line up a bunch of guys and be like, hey, did this one work? Did this one work? <laughs> I mean, that imagine, that's the plan. It's like the easiest game of uh, whack-a-mole. Um, there's so um, we get a little bit insight into to Morbus as well. Um, he's you know kind of there to uh, cleanse the lands and guide fallen souls. Um, he they talk a little bit more. We get to learn a lot about Lord Relictors in this book. Um, there's uh, he talks about these twelve rites, um, and that that he he's strengthened by the dead. He gets insights and learns things from the dead and that spirits cling to him like a second cloak. Um, and which is just this, this really cool thing. And uh, of the rights for the first four of the 12 rights. So there's this voice inside of every, every relictor's head, a voice demanding obedience, a voice calling him uh, to, you know, um, to give himself over uh, to the, the, the right owner of these souls. Can you do the voice real quick? Um, what, what does the voice say? Tell me what the voice says. Oh, no, whatever you just said, like that, those things. Oh, oh. Is it's English? He's English, isn't he? I probably. Sure. It's the Nagash. Spoilers, guys! Come on. Uh, so Nagash is calling. <laughs> sure. So Ooh. the first four of the twelve rites that relictors learn is just about resisting that voice. So that's kind of Absolutely. a cool thing. Pretty important then it sounds like. Yeah. So these monsters. Some before with Iona's Cryptborn, you know, is talking some about the relationship with, with death and with uh, Nagash and uh, they know that they're, they're stealing Nagash's due. So certainly the Lord relictors, this whole reforging thing, they're bearing a lot of the, the burden and it's yep. been talked about how they, they have some role in that uh, reforging process, although not really explicitly laid out very often. Uh, we'll, we'll see a lot more here in a bit. Yep. So he's using the power of the storm to cleanse the, the lands uh, and calling such winds that push back the waters and uh, cleanse the water. The lightning cleanses the water, turns it to steam. Uh, but they have to descend now. Um, he and Gardas descend now to go and find Grim, who is... Um, below the surface and when they get to the gate what do they find just his burned and battered lantern uh floating in it's it's someone has to like reach down in the putrid water and like oh there's something glowing under here and pull it up and like here's his lantern on its own which is yep bad sign so and then flash to grim and where's grim at who knows <laughs> no that's what that's what he asks but he <laughs> He wakes up drowning, which is my one of my least favorite ways to wake up. <laughs> low on the list. Yeah. Easily in the top five. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's he's plunging through the gate, uh, basically. Uh, and he's confused. You know, it's this uh, thing. He doesn't know if he's he's falling down or upwards and trying to figure out um, where his voice is talking to him, you know, tell him to give up. And then, uh, but he managed to fight his way to the surface and breaks the surface. And uh, and he actually has six other Stormcast with him, right? Yep. So, yeah, there's a number of others, and, and I don't know if that's all that went with him. 
Um, but it may it may have been. I don't know if it says if that's but that's think, who he, that's yeah. who he's able to pull back out. It, it would make sense because there are seven of them that fell into the realm of Megalon. Uh, and uh, his dog or his Griffhound Talon. Mm. Um, and so they they land in the space. They they orient themselves, um, but then they are um, attacked by a. There's a boat. They get attacked. They fight. Um, each of the six um, other Stormcast fall, uh, and their soul. What what happens is unexpected, but expected. Uh, their souls do not return to his ear. Right. They're in the they're in Nurgle's garden. They're they're not within the eight realms, and so they they can't can't yep. be seen. So even even in Nagash's realm, it's still one of the eight mortal realms. Uh, and but for Nagash managing to trap uh, Tarsus Bullhart, uh, souls were still escaping back to Azir. Yep. Here, you know, Azir can't see him here anymore. So, uh, so their bodies slump down in the mud. Yeah, um, Grim can't do anything about it. Uh, yeah. And so he asks, he has to kind of go seek out, um, uh, just kind of, he has to leave. He has to continue to find his way out. He's hoping uh, to draw, a, you know, he knows if he's on the move, then he'll draw demons away and he's hoping Talon will stand guard. And he even, you know, says he knows it's, it's kind of a lost cause. There's no Talon can't fight them off forever. Uh, but He's just kind of desperate looking for him. And they, he is in the Garden of Nurgle here. Right now it looks like a, a swamp uh, with great big sort of barges moving through it. Yep. Uh, and there's there's armies of demons waiting to go into, through the gate, through the portal, into Garan. So he's, he's there's this big glut of demons waiting to enter in through the round gate. And he's, it's been, they haven't been able to so far. Um, he's plopped in the other way and has found himself in a mess. Um, and uh, has to kind of yeah lead lead the them away. Um, now uh, back uh, in uh, Garan, huddled around the gate are uh, Morbus and uh, Gardas, and you know many of the other Stormcasts that are there, and they have to decide: uh, do they 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 know that the lantern is there? They're kind of like, well, as long as it's lit, that means he's alive, right? It's connected to his soul. But it's like um, fading. It's fading. So they're like, yeah. do, we, do we destroy this gate? I mean, which is what you should do, right? Destroy mm-hmm. the gate so the demons don't come out. Or do you take the time to go in after Grim? What would you do? That, that's one of the interesting things is that the lantern is actually stopping. It's one of the mechan- mechanisms that's stopping the demons from coming in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's uh, interesting uh, MacGuffin. Yeah. yeah, right. You're gonna go in and catch him, but you know that it's gonna get weaker as it goes on, so it'll be harder for people to be able to. So Gardas is in a position that uh, is weird for them, right? Because as as a commander, like on on today's battlefields, like you got to make some decisions as far as like what's what's good for an individual versus what's good for the whole. Now they're not used to necessarily having to make these decisions because they're used to people getting reforged all the time. Like, well, I lose a guy he's going to get reforged. He'll be back. You know, there may be some cost associated with being reforged, but we'll see that. Well, now he's got this idea of like, all right, do we go, are we thinking this as like no, no man or no Stormcast left behind? Uh, you know, what's more damaging to our morale that we would leave somebody behind down there or that we would potentially plunge in and lose, you know, 
10 times the number that are, that are already lost, uh, in a, in a, you know, un, an effort unlikely to be successful, which they're all acknowledging, you know, he's acknowledging it as foolish, uh, even from his advisors. So, uh, it's, it's a tough decision. Perhaps the more responsible thing is not what he does. Um, you know, but, well, Curtis yeah. also has a unique perspective in that he's already been there too. Like sure. nobody else has had to like have that, you know, uh, a experience like the, the problem, presumably the horror that goes along with it. So like he knows the stakes in a way, but because of that, it probably also uh, informs his decision as to be like, well, I, I got to get in there. I know, I know how nuts it is. We got to do something for him. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got through by the skin of my teeth, but yeah. Yeah. And we, so we had the conversation about free will, right? It, would Sigmar want, you know, what would Sigmar tell me to do if I were here, but he doesn't know. Yeah. And so he has to make a decision or feel like, He's in the process of making his own decision. Um, there's the sense of what what is the what is enough sacrifice? Um, and had this been you know a liberator just down there, but like it's grim. So there's there's some emotional connection to this this brother of his. Um, uh, and there there certainly is. Um, I mean, one of the things that we have uh, seen this far too um, that we didn't mention is that in the very first opening there's this experience that he has since his last reforging where his, his body starts to exude some light and he's able to concentrate and pull it back in. And when we get uh, to where the, he comes down and he meets some of the humans, his body glows again and some of the humans, their ailments wash away. And so there's almost like he's, uh, you know, kind of changed his, like everything, every stormcast that's been reforged has had some change. His seems to have added an ability to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like we talked about, he's, he's this, you know, he's this greater good kind of character. Um, he's, he's a healer. His, in his past life, he was a healer. Um, he's a compassionate leader. He's not like Vandis where he's uh, the most skilled, um, you know, though he is skilled, um, he's a patient, uh, and enduring kind of, uh, character. Um, and so there's, there's all these things wrapped up in, in that we've, these themes that we've talked about already, they're wrapped up into this decision. And he doesn't like, and, and Morbus asks him, why, why are you going? Why are we doing this? Why are we going in? And he says, you know, to, to rescue Grimm and Morris mm-hmm. says, well, why are we really doing this? And he says, I don't know. Um, well, good. it's an interesting dichotomy too, because at the beginning of the book, obviously chapter one, Gardas is asked, you know, should we go in and rescue this person? And he's in his ear. Right. And he says, no. Yep. And the second one, we're back in the town where he was before he became a stormcast. And literally nobody has asked him the question. It's him asking himself the question again, should we rescue this question? And his answer changes to yes. Yeah. Now in the first case, explicitly had a Sigmar has said no already. So he was like, I'm not going to go against Sigmar's word here. You know, he could make an intelligent guess as to what Sigmar might say, but you know, Yep. Maybe he's just going to guess but, the other way. So there's something besides Grimm that's pushing him to go down. Um, and he asks his uh, his uh, host, um, I will not force anybody to go with me, um, but voluntarily, if you, if you will, you can come with. And nearly everybody goes or wants to go. Everybody wants to go, um, mm-hmm. and, including Tornus. Uh, and at one point, Kadek, or, yeah, uh, Kadek turns to him and says, why don't you go? Uh, he calls him out and uh, just can kind of be like, you know, kind of catch him again in, in being less than faithful. 
uh, and Gardas intervenes and tells him that's not that's not cool, Kadok. Um, and but Tornus steps up and he says, "I want to be there. Uh, this is something I have to do as well." Um, and so uh, Gardas and the gang go down. They end up leaving uh, Karunta, a hel- her- heralder that's meant to bring the house down in case uh, the they start coming out. The demons start coming down. About uh, the receiving end of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they leave Adius in there. Who? Uh, no, they. Uh, no, he goes with. They're Vexilor. Um, uh, Vexilor stays you... because if the if the trumpet can't bring it down, then he'll do a, He'll bring a meteor, meteor yep. strike down. So Angston, yeah. current and Angston stay. I, th- I think you might flip those, but we'll find out. Davies um, right. Then, all right. Um, then so they go. They drop in. They arrive in the garden and they find they've got one additional person with them. That's pretty important to the, oh. the plot here. So they, so they also bring Gatrock with them. Yeah. And well, uh, how did they decide to go? Well, so they uh, he's he's bound in chains and they're asking him. You know, it, it, Gardas actually shows you know some modicum of of compassion. Where you know, take off his helmet. I want to see what it looks like. And uh, again, you get some awesome dialogue from Gatrog here. He's like, uh, you know. Uh, but they're they're talking about, you know, um, he's he's saying better death than in bondage because they're saying uh, we need we need a guide and he's saying well, uh, th- I'm not going to help you and uh, he goes well we'll strike your head from your your shoulders right now and he says well better death than to be in bondage but uh, basically they give him the chance to die like he would want I'll give you a sword uh, but you have to swear an oath to me. Uh, Swear an oath that you'll you'll guide us uh, honorably, and you know he they Gardas sees through to this like this guy's word is is worth something. You know it's important to him at least, uh, and so he says you know on on your word and um, you know basically get draws an oath from this uh, knight of the order of the fly that he will uh, guide them, and so you get to you get to see how much that oath is worth over the course of this. But he he follows them in as a as a guide basically. Yep. Well, and the uh, the reason that he can be a guide is because in order to be one of the Order of the Fly, you have to go in and visit Nurgle, right? That's part of the the indoctrination, as it were, right? Right. Um, so he also has been into the realm of Nurgle and has come back out again. So we have a good character that's been into the Garden of Nurgle and come out, and a bad character that's been into the Garden of Nurgle and come out. Mm-hmm. And then the third character who never went into the Garden of Nurgle, right? Because Tornus or Torglug never went in. Yeah, but he switched from bad to good. No. Yeah. There's a you know, and Gardas is able to elicit some of this by having his glow. There's a cool line here where Gardas uh, gets up close to him, you know, puts his puts his glowing hand on him and starts whispering smoke. And uh, Gatrex says, "Get your filthy hands off of me." You know, that's, that's pretty, <laughs> I, again, like just this sort of weird juxtaposition of you're used to just thinking of these rot bringers as like oh super gross dudes, but like this guy really you know. Uh, believes he, he uh, when they pull off his helmet, he's like, I I am handsome, am I not? Gardas <laughs> says, No, he says, Then I am in good company, you know, like he's 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 willing to uh, jive back at these guys and and uh, you know, sees himself on the side of right, which makes him much more interesting than it would be if he was. Just- well, you, seem, you seem to be analyzing these characters just a little bit too much. Like, whose side <laughs> are you? Man? I mean, I make no secret. Well, and that part of that juxtaposition is that I mean, the Stormcasts represent hope, and the Order of the Fly and, and Nurgle see hope as the weed, yeah. as the thing that 
that is destructive. Hope uh, is because, the weed in grandfather's garden, right? Yeah, uh, be, because everything eventually dies. Everything eventually goes away. And so hope is nonsense. Despair, like learning to live with the with that everything is going to die is the is the ultimate um you know kind of faith uh and so there's this battle of faiths um uh so yeah i mean there's definitely again i I do think there's a lot of really thoughtful things here and i think this is one of the there's certainly a lot of of battle that we've seen so far Um, but as you'll see from what we're talking about like it's been there's quite a bit of of depth to the conversation i guess i'd say is to Mm -hmm to the symbols that were being shown beyond just the fighting. Um, so let's uh, step back to, you know, so they jump in, but let's see what's happening. What's happened with Grimm um, as he's come uh, to and kind of uh, escaped um, one of our favorite, uh, um, another favorite hero of Nurgle has captured him uh, and, uh, you know, kind of uh, locked him up in his ship. And that is a uh, senior gut rock spume i mean capitan gut rot spume i know his model doesn't have like a, a three-cornered hat but like it all through the book i pictured yeah, it it's anyway. like an admiral yeah. hat or something yeah, yeah exactly. so tentacles could make it you know you could just tell the tentacles to make a hat when he wants it. he doesn't even need one but that would be especially gross yes you're correct <laughs> And Spume wants to know Grimm's secret. He wants to unlock the secret of the Stormcast. Um, you know, uh, never, to his knowledge, has uh, Nurgle had a specimen. And so he binds him up and, and uh, seeks to take him. Um, there's a voice in, uh, you know, laughing at Grimm that's talked to him a bit since he's gotten here. Um, what was your first impression of, of who this voice was? Right when he's arriving, yeah, I'm I'm with Aaron. I was like, oh well, you're entering Nurgle's realm. He's gonna start, uh, you know, trash talking you as soon as you're through. But yeah, yeah. But we find out that it is not Nurgle, uh, somebody much lesser than Nurgle who is in his head. Yeah, gut rot spume terms him a stowaway appropriately. But, yeah. yeah, so he kind of says, oh, there's there's two of you in there. And it reveals that it's uh, Bubonicus is inside Grimm's head. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, because Possibly the, literally, yeah. Because literally <laughs> the maggots that he vomited into his mouth before his death are growing and eating away inside of Grimm yeah. and taking trying to eventually seek to control him. You know that kid who would eat worms when you're growing up? That's him. Yeah. I was him. <laughs> No. <laughs> you still are him, uh, and this is uh, and this is actually it, it's spelled out in the books at some point that this is a skill he learned from a different um, blightmaster. Is what they're called? Yeah, blightmaster. Another character from one of Reynolds' previous works as well. But if we're not going to spoil it, then I won't spoil who. Nice, Mister Reynolds. <laughs> your uh, your universe, your individual AOS universe that you've created is vast. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, dig in. Uh, and so Spume has him aboard his boat. Um, he summons, so he does He does some... It's interesting because not only is Spume a pirate, right? And he gets called a reaver often. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, um, a, you know, a, a sailor. Um, he, he longs to be out of Nurgle's garden and back into the open seas. And so he's yeah. seeking permission to do that. In essence, he's he's trying to win his way back because obviously there's not a ton of ways to get from uh, Nurgle's garden. This gate is one of those ways, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little so, shamed, right? That's why he's here in the first place. Either he was defeated or, or something to yeah. that effect. Yeah, we saw him in the Realm Gate Wars. He was he was defeated, uh, I think, by the Hallowed Knights. So, uh, I love his I love his motivation too. It's just that sailing here is too boring, yeah. right? Because <laughs> the waters aren't rough enough. Yeah. Um, and so he he is then um, uh, kind of uh, wanting to take it back. So he summons uh, Urslog, a witch, to try and see if he can, she can uncover any of these things for him. Um, and in the meantime, he's uh, let's see here if we get if maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, well, let's stop there. He he summons uh, Urslog, uh, a witch, to try and uh, you know kind of divine things of him and that sort of thing, um, and and so he now he's got kind of somebody else that he's brought on board, uh, another character. Yeah, to help he wants out. to learn more about who he's got, and they call him uh, Silver Skins or Shiny Skins, uh, a bunch yeah. that Stormcast. But uh, it's not uncommon to come across uh, souls in Nurgle's garden here, and uh, there's a whole spectrum of them. Like there's some that are that you know appear miserable but they're actually there willingly or you know they've they've already given in uh, and uh some souls are more more valuable than others so these barges are, are floating around on the top level of nurgle's garden trying to collect these you know what souls they can some are more valuable try and find some treasure uh some some gold and all the chaff here or wheat and all the chaff i think golden straw whatever anyway try <laughs> i loved it Trying, trying to, trying to find something that the, that they can then curry favor with the the lower, more influential levels uh, of the garden, and uh, he thinks he's found something, in, you know, particularly special. But he needs to figure out just exactly what it is. He needs some help for that. Well, that's we do learn about uh, the garden's shape, don't we? Yeah, uh, I I can't remember where it's laid out, but we had, we had talked. Yeah, it's an inverted pyramid, right? Yep. Uh, seven levels appropriately. And it was interesting because he he mentions that that Nurgle took a, a liking to a specific civilization's architecture uh, and uh, built the garden in, in that image mm-hmm. and only inverted it. So it's a, and, and so it's uh, seven layers bean dip um, uh, of Nurgle's garden. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, and yeah, so at the top and where we're at, where we start in Nurgle's garden is, is the safest layer, mm-hmm. the least, you know, noxious. Um, and down at the bottom is, is where Nurgle is. His Um, manse, no less. Yeah. Uh, his pillow. Um, I think it also mentions like that this, this realm used to be at some point there was like a a giant worm that, uh, made this realm its home. And these are some of the castings like the off, like the, the worm was slain. And then the, uh, the, uh, the realm Let's was... talk about that for a minute because there's because uh, yeah. there's other places throughout the next part where we, they touch on that mm-hmm. and we probably don't need to pause for that at each time it mentions it. Sure. But there's a lot of things where it talks about like this used to be something else. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we talk about the nature of the the realm of chaos. So it, previously you'd understand it as like formed by the you know thoughts and uh, emotions and motivations of of humans like that was kind of maybe how it was defined in the world that was here it seems like it was a place that nurgle came across and said this place this is going to be mine and like yeah exactly so like pulls it in and they've also in the past bordered with other chaos gods realms somehow that's not that relationship isn't very clearly laid out here which is which is fine uh i'm i'm totally cool with some mystery but um 
I really liked the additional structure, I guess, given to the garden instead of just being completely amorphous or whatever. Like, it, like more made structure it to more structure structure Nurgle's realm than any of the other realms. Basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's actually a good point. Uh, but it, yeah, I mean, it made it feel. Uh, Josh Reynolds did an amazing job of of kind of realizing this and making it a place uh, instead of just being like, ah, oh, yeah, it's you know Nurgle's garden. It's super gross, and you're probably going to die. So I think you could, good luck. So I, there's two things there. One is I think the inverted pyramid could also just be a metaphor. Mm-hmm. It may not actually be exactly fit into that kind of space, right? Sure. It could be this idea of like the you know the was it uh, what's the pyramid of needs or the talking the hierarchy of needs food that's all you <laughs> yeah the hierarchy of needs etc so it's a perversion of life right right um, and so um maybe it's something like that i don't know um I, yeah and i think the absence of explanation Maslow. uh as well yeah. <laughs> uh anyway so there's that um but there's it does seem like there's there's things like there's sometimes where there was this previous civilization and and here's where maybe we were talking about this a, a little bit before like there's a part in um, in uh, one of the Rumgate uh, the campaign books where it talks about where they're going to retrieve Galmaraz at a point where um, you know the Zinch sorcerer is trying to pull that section of Shaman up into the realm of Zinch, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and so maybe some of these places were p- plucked out of uh, you know one of the mortal realms, sure, and pulled in, you know, corrupted, and then pulled in to make it a part of the garden, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe Garan when when Nurgle's trying to conquer Garan, maybe eventually wants to pull that up into his realm and make that a part of uh, you know his garden, etc. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting situation. Uh, the the way that it's described is that there was a worm god. Oh yeah, that's right. There were other smaller worms that basically like worshipped him, and like this is the cast off of that creation. Yeah. yeah. There's also there's also one city in which Nurgle had built the city. Mm-hmm. and inhabitants and then rearranged it and changed it you know and kind yeah. of like this like minecraft kind of environment uh sure. where he's like oh you go over here now and you go over here now and you're going to live a new life or you're going to become a different thing or whatever yeah. um yeah so there's a lot of different perversions in this garden of of what uh, of collections of what of of life that that nurgle has brought here well and the really interesting parallel right now is Shadespire, right? Where Nagash pulls Shadespire into a different realm. It's very much the same thing. And Josh Reynolds is seeming to imply that this is going on with the Chaos Gods and with the Death Gods. So um, it's also kind of an interesting thing with Azir being able to be closed off. like, And now that is completely Sigmar's realm. So has Sigmar done something of the same nature? You know, it, yeah. it, It's an interesting question that's being posed. In coalescence, the diaphanous fastness was pulled into uh, between realms, and so that it was hidden. I mean, it's canon. Yeah. So, TMTM. so it was written. So it shall be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's it's a strange collection of of conquests and and uh, you know perversions. So, um, so it's good to talk about that as we go through this. There's some you know we it. Josh does a uh, does a nice job of kind of pointing out each of these layers and how it's different uh, from the one before. Um, so let's get back to Gardas. They arrive in the garden. They find the Stormcast bodies in Talon, uh, and Morbus does this another thing that's new. 
for a relic door, which is uh, really cool. Uh, he's able to collect their souls. Um, and uh, he performs another one of his rites as a Lord Relictor and pulls their souls kind of into himself um, and, uh, you know, kind of becomes a part of him. And he is, he is increasingly burdened. Mm-hmm. It, the, the toll it takes on him. I mean, it's, a, it's another thing he has to concentrate. It's another thing that, um, you know, if, if, if Gardas, like, so if, like, there's a lot of physical fortitude in the Stormcast, but these Relictors have like this mental fortitude. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's worth pointing out he was already tired before they went in because he was like bringing storms to help take the uh, you know Sargassum citadels. So yes. yeah, he's he's already fatigued. Bad news. Yeah. Um. So they collect all these. They find a galley. They rid it of all of its uh you know its uh, crew. Um. And then uh, Morbus uh, sets it ablaze uh, with power. So he uses his power and it kind of just trades the, the rotten sails for, you know, kind of Azir sails. Yeah. Uh, I'm no sailor, but uh, I'm pretty sure the best thing to do when you get on board a boat is set it on fire. So yep. that's what I'm taking away. Here. I mean, that's what the chaos is. It makes it go faster. It's like when you paint yeah. flames on a car. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, um, so they get going on, on the boat. Um, and then we cut back to to Spewman. He gets stopped by, uh, I don't know, a rot bringer or a, not, uh, yeah, a rot bringer, a kind of uh, emissary of the the Lord of Flies or the whatnot. Is this the is this the one that lands? Uh, he's he's riding on a fly, or is that this uh, guy was awesome? Yeah, and kind of acts all hoity-toity. Oh, he's amazing. So he's like in all this like tattered finery, like ruffled collar and all that sort of thing, like. This made me want to make, you know, so already like with the order of the fly, I'm like, oh man, I want to make like a mortal rot bringer army. These guys show up and they're, I'm like, now I want to make a Nurgle demon army. Like, <laughs> you know, all gross and tattered and I don't know. Damn you, Josh Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> and so he brings a message to tell um, uh, Spume that he needs to bring Grimm down to the gate of desolation. Um, and Spume's like, well, I'll do it, but not because you told me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be it's doing so what touching. I want to be doing. Uh, yeah. And he gives him too much lip on his own boat. And that's something that, that Spoon can't uh, forgive. And so he cuts him in half or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he, he has a destination. Um, sorry about that. So, um, so they fight through... Um, we we, we have some segments of this book where it kind of switches back and forth. So now basically race is on, right? So yep. the, the storm cast have picked up, they could turn around, although I'm not sure if they really know how to get back out. Right. Um, yeah, but they've got, they picked up six of the seven. Like you could turn around and you were pretty successful, but they're going to keep pushing on. So now it's this chase. It becomes like a, you know, a, a, a chase movie where Spume's trying to stay ahead of them and they're trying to follow. And so you'll you'll go back and forth. Here's what's going on with Spume, and here's going here's what's going on with the the Stormcast, and uh, it'll it'll continue to move forward in time. So it's not always happening simultaneously, and you, you just kind of jump back and forth as the timeline advances. Yep. Morbus yeah. can sense uh, Grimm's uh, energy, so they kind of know a direction. Uh, we know where where Spume is going, and so now we get to uh, the gate 
uh, of despair, um, or is it, this is the gate of desolation? Um, and a big difference between yeah. well, and, uh, there's there's three, there's a number of gates here, so we we get we get some confusion, um, and so what they get through and what they find is this gate is a there's a zinch statue and there's a nurgle yeah. statue and they're kind of caught and battled because of something that they did um the you know kind of this they'll never be forgiven and so they've been punished to sit here as statues yeah particularly lord of change came in and tried tried to uh start spreading hope in nurgle's garden that was his crime for for which he got petrified so no Gardner. no gardener likes someone bringing a bunch of weeds in so <laughs> Um, and so they, they fight through this gate, there's hanging corpses, there's statues. Uh, they managed to get through this one, um, by setting all the corpses and stuff on fire, um, yeah. blazes through and they, they smash the prosecutor smashed some of the statues and, and kind of catch them off guard. They get through the statues, heal themselves, etc. Um, and so they, they get through, um, without, without much difficulty. Um, then they get through, that was the gate of desolation. Then they get to the gate of despair. Um, they kind of, you know, kind of create these defensive positions. Um, there's scouts ahead. Um, uh, there's some argument. And this is another place where, you know, Tor so we get some some conversation between Tornus and Gatrog. Because Tornus is the one who's seen hope in Gatrog or something in Gatrog. And Gatrog feels pretty insulted by this. <laughs> And Gatrog um, starts, starts making Tornus question who he is. Um, that that, Tor that this is not the real him. That Torgalug is the real him. And he yeah. refers to him as Torgalug, and he starts yeah, just yeah. putting under his skin. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's a lot of this back and forth. Who are you really? You know, and and Tornus has been getting this from the Stormcast, uh, and now he's getting it. You know, on the other side from uh, you know an agent of Nurgle, um, and so Tornus doesn't have a, a side like he doesn't have a team rooting for him um i will say uh, one thing i forgot to mention is that at the um at that point where um i think it was at the point where um Kadic called out uh tornus and saying hey you know uh why don't you you volunteer or whatever gardas makes a pretty profound uh statement in calling tornus brother mm. uh and tornus in his head notes that his Lord Celestin never did that. Um, so even his Lord Celestin, who was in command of him, who probably saw him in battle, worked with him, seen him do great things, still never called him brother. And Gardas was able to do that without knowing him well, having fought him and trusting in what Sigmar is doing. And so the only time he's gotten that is from Gardas. And so he's definitely drawn and, and to a loyalty of Gardas because of that. Um, to give a add some more like weight to his only connection, whether it be Stormcast or Nurgle, is Gardas. Um, we get um, so yeah, so there's there's this argument, and and this is throughout the book is this back and forth um, between the two, you know, both and 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 they're not just idiots arguing. Like there's some good points that are made. There's some very intelligent conversation here. Um, you know if uh, you know that there's there's this you know he was Torglug with this tiny seed of hope in him now he's Tornus maybe with this tiny seed of Nurgle in him so mm -hmm. is that true or has he been totally cleansed has he not and so again it's all eating away at Tornus's faith um is he to remain faithful is he worthy of um 
uh, either Nurgle or Sigmar, the bastard god. Um, whoa, whoa, strong language. <laughs> well, hope is a lie, so <laughs> Sigmar is a liar. Weed in the garden. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's see here. So uh, there's some a moment where we get back to um, to Grim. It seems like he's lost some control of his body. He's not he's not able to move his arms and uh, Bubonicus kind of chuckles at him. And it's a show of progress of what Bubonicus has been able to do by chewing away at his insides and getting, gaining some bits of control over Grimm's body and his eventual goal is to take over his mind. Yeah. And Grimm can literally feel these maggots squirming inside of him, like in his stomach and they come crawling out of his nose at times and like, pretty gnarly you know uh chained up and enduring all this but yeah all of a sudden his body's not his own occasionally his words are not his own he'll say something and his captors will be like who's saying that to me is that uh is that bubonicus or is that you know or is that uh you you know silver skin that's that i i thought that was a pretty cool uh dynamic there yeah go ahead no it also creates some you know some interesting promise. So we already have uh, a follower of Nurgle who's become a Stormcast. Now we've got a Stormcast who appears to be becoming a follower of Nurgle, you know, yeah. unwillingly. Um, so this is this is a really cool thread to keep, you know, keeping on. Yeah. And I, I, uh, especially, you know, and, and we mentioned it, but the, they set this whole book up at the talking about the Stormcast that had died the final death. So they they created stakes right out of the gate, right? Um, yeah. Reminded us of what the stakes could be. Uh, and so that I feel like there's some promise here that, uh, or at least the threat, like the the, the risk feels real, right? Yep. So. Um, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit because, you know, some of these pieces are in other chapters, but um, Urslog identifies the, the witch uh, on the boat, identifies Grimm, um, the two identities and what's happening there. Um, but she has an idea of her own, she scries a couple of a symbol onto the side of the boat um, without Spoom knowing it and calls uh, Gothrax um, and kind of on, on a conference call uh, and then scries another one and um, gets, um, oh, who's the other? Quickish is what you have there. The... Rancic. Rancic, yeah. Oh, uh, who's a, a vermin lord? Uh, we find out as a vermin lord, and so tries to auction off Grim. Mm-hmm. Says, "Hey, I know that you've, you know, to Gothrax, uh, you or Borathrax, yeah, Gothrax, you know this one. You know he had killed your father or whatnot. Um, and uh, and then uh, this rat is also interested. So she tries to auction him off, but Spoom overhears, uh, cuts her head off." <laughs> <laughs> Dude decapitates like a lot of people in this book. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then kind of turns over her cauldron that she's been cooking things up in, and splashes a load of it on top of uh, um, Grim, which totally stains his armor. Uh, but it also ends up weakening the chains. And there's a little conversation between him and uh, Bubonicus, uh, and he's wanting to kind of break the chains and go after Spoom. Bubonicus is like, "Don't do it. He's just going to kill us." Yeah. Uh, and we find out that Bubonicus is not interested in Grimm's death yet. Right. And we have a couple, so, you know, we don't need to get super into it, but back uh, 
back on the surface, Angston, the Vexlor, is having some philosophical debates with uh, uh, with one of the rescued humans, and um, Tornus uh, slash Torglug is having this debate with Gatrog, and Bubonicus and Grimm are having the debate like that. These kind of back and forth are happening in multiple different places, um, and they're they're different. They're they're kind of different parts of the same debate and conversation. Some of these themes that we've talked about, uh, but yeah, like Bubonicus and and Grimm have are having an actual you know, besides the the struggle, the physical maggots and fortitude struggle, they're having an internal mental struggle as well. Yeah. Um. So we get back to um. Let's see. We there's some back and forth getting back to the gate. Um, the, I don't is good to know where we're at with them back home. I guess in Garan, um, I probably could have left some of it. Like uh, we probably could have gotten back. You know, waited till the very end of the book to you know get back there, and I probably would have been all right with it. The only thing it did, I think, was maybe create a little bit of a timer to let you know that if they don't keep moving, if even yeah. if they were to succeed at their mission, but too late, yeah. um, that the gates would get shut down on them, which introduces a whole other element of like how does time work yep. and then yep. yeah. in the first place. And they mentioned, that. they mentioned that that time works differently in those places, yeah. and so they did decide that the timer was seven days, which seems very much. Nurgle probably grinned. I know. Man. Yeah. Eh, bad choice. Uh, but so, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna collapse the gate in seven days. Yeah. In the in the garden, uh, you know, they're attacked. They lose some more souls. So Morvis has to take on some more uh, souls onto him. Um, uh, Spoom uh, racing forward ends up facing off against uh, um, Guthrax, son of Borathrax. So Borathrax is in the Realm Gate Wars, um, and he's a great. So Guthrax is a great unclean one. Uh, Spoon faces off against him uh, and uh, kind of takes care of him pretty easily. Um, and then uh, we find these uh, protectors. Um, let's see. I think I uh, missed the spot where Gatrock. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Gatrock yes. is, is owed a, a favor from this. Or I'm not Gatrock. Um, Spoom is owed a favor from the Skaven, so he's using this this shortcut. But unfortunately for him, his pursuers uh, have Gatrog, who knows about this shortcut and makes a suggestion. Yep, yep. Uh, so, so there's these cool, um, you know, uh, gargants that are protecting this uh, entryway that was created by the Skaven, and they are covered. They're very, you know, mutated and stuff. Chaos gargants, and then they, but they've been covered in these runes that are Skaven runes. Um, and uh, Spume is able to, to speak Queekish uh, in order to kind of turn turn off the Gargants, right? It's the clapper. Yeah. They, they walk <laughs> Power away. down. Yep, and so he's able to go through, but then um, Gardas and the others, uh, again, yeah, uh, Gatrog had known about this path or had heard about this path, uh, and so says, hey, we could go this way. Um, uh, and when they're, they're kind of going a little more on land uh, or kind of pushing through a marsh and, and a portage to, action here. Yep, yeah. Yep. This is a pretty awesome scene. And then they have to, they have to deal with the gargants uh, and they do pretty uh, handily as they well. Do. Well, and that the, this was really one of the interesting scenes where uh, they're also dealing with the former inhabitants of the place that they are in. This yep. is where it's specifically mentioned. And like the people of this city 
were completely destroyed and altered into a different life form, right? So they've literally just been fighting this running battle, and the Gargans are like the last thing that they have to face. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, and and then Morbus is just like, okay, we need to do something about this. Uh, and probably... oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but, uh, oh, then it just creates this like gully, and then the Gargans start falling over, right? To so they don't have to fight all of them. Sure, true. Um, and it's worth noting that at least in this area, or maybe throughout the whole garden, I didn't really catch it, but like nothing can actually die. And so even they are, even though they're like tearing these gargants apart, like they're still alive for the most part, like even after, you know, horrors have been enacted upon them. Well, and the interesting thing for me is that uh, when Morbus hits the boat, he can make it a Stormcast thing, even though it's in the realm of Nurgle. But when he breaks the ground, he's physically altering the realm of Nurgle itself, hmm. right? Which was something I didn't think was necessarily, you know, that was not something that I was like, oh, this will be within his power, is to change the actual physical property inside of the realm of a different god. Yeah, it happens a few times with Morbus where he managed to pull off some tricks that you're like, oh, I did not realize that was a thing that they could do. So, yeah. Sometimes it works better than others, I would say. <laughs> um, so we get past the Gargants and both uh, Gardas and or the Gardas and the crew, the Stormcast in their boat and Spume in his boat with Grimm are going through these rat created tunnels and they're fighting against Skaven. Um, Spume here is thinking he's like, Hey, Hey, I'm supposed to be able to use this. I've got, you know, I, I have safe passage, you know, yeah. <laughs> but we learned that these are, um, uh, you know, followers of uh, Ratic. Um, and uh, so, um, he's they're fighting against him because they want Grimm and yeah. the Stormcast are fighting against uh, the Skaven as well. Um, and then aboard uh, Spoon's boat comes Ratzik himself. Yeah, Spoon's able to be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I have you want the one guy I have? Like, there's 20 of them back there. This be go <laughs> hook that up, and it works. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and so, uh, there's a um, but so they're trying to um get through all these boats and all this kind of stuff. The Stormcast are, they uh, kind of come up with this. Here's what we're talking about where, um, all right. I don't know how to exactly describe how this happens. Um, Gardas. So they're in the space. One of the things that we see is that Gardas is at like prow of the ship and he's, you can visibly see, or I don't know if he can, or if only he can, or if everyone else can see the the spirits that he's collected surrounding him and so he's kind of guarded by these um but um they let's see how if i can find this uh so everyone's kind of beaten down and all this kind of stuff they've get you know they've taken on the waves of of rats um and there's something that everybody kind of figures out at this time uh so along the way you know like uh um what is it? Uh, Spume got, um, realizes that he's part of a plan. That him going down further into the depths isn't just about him going down there and answering to somebody, but that he's the lure, and that it'll cause the other Grim, uh, Gardas and the rest to kind of follow him down there. And it's they bait. start. Yeah. Yep, yeah. they're bait. He's bait. And so they start to realize this a little bit too. They think Papa Nurgle has this big plan, and he's been luring them and all this kind of stuff. And so that kind of gives them the sinking feeling. Everyone's kind of beaten down. And so they 
Morbus creates a new trick. Um, he turns his lightning, he kind of holds his hands together and lightning between them and he pulls it apart, kind of like chains. And he hooks it onto um, uh, Kadok's uh, lantern, like yeah, like into, into it, right. Um, and it becomes this physical thing. And then Gardas like wraps those around his gauntlets and stands at the prow of the ship. So kind of as an anchor on the ship so that Kadok can pull the ship uh, with the with the uh, chains and they end up kind of yeah and so he becomes kind of a, a tugboat uh, for this uh, <laughs> ship lifting it off into the air yeah there's like a blockade of uh of skaven boats that they would never you know they would just eventually bog them down and instead of doing that they get to right over the top it's pretty you you can imagine it's a pretty cinematic scene like they're going over and splinter through all the masts and you know, basically, jump the blockade. Skaven have like a free willy moment where they reach up and they touch. <laughs> underneath. Uh, um, and Paul, this is another example of one of your flying ships. There might, yep. uh, we're gonna have some airships. <laughs> yep, totally for sure. Stormcast like airships. Um. So yeah, so they've they've uh, you know done this, and they can, and then for the first time they see uh, uh, Spume's ship in the distance. Um, uh, but it's kind of, uh, well, am I in the right place? Actually, no, let me stop a second. So then on, on Spume's ship, we also get, um, Grimm kind of waking up or remembering something, uh, that isn't his own memory. Oh, right, so, yeah. so, uh, an, another test of, of will that Bubonicus has forced, uh, Grimm to, to kind of, yeah, to, to remember his own memory um, and that sort of thing. Um, and at this, you know, um, oh, yeah, well, I guess we forgot this this part too where uh, while Spoom and, and Verminlord are fighting each other, Grim breaks free and tries to go up and fight them. Uh, and that's where Spoom is able to get the Verminlord to, to, to go back towards the other ones and he's able to knock Grim back out. All right. Uh, so they're flying up. Uh, they they're kind of uh, flying up, and all of a sudden, on top of the chains, these lightning chains, Gardas sees kind of a black spot, um, and uh, uh, the vermin lord tries to run down the chains oh, to kill yeah. him. Uh, and and I think he just gets he gets uh, becomes a pincushion uh, for Enyo and uh, Tornus, um, and just. <laughs> he runs away pretty quick. He's not ready to 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 give whatever he's going to have to give to 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 get any of it. Well, and it's not even just that he runs away, but like he's given the opportunity to flee, no less. Yeah, yeah. Gar- Gar- yeah he hits the deck, and Garda says, "Get out of here." Yeah. Oh, he's, mercy is the sharpest blade, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. Um, they spot Spoon's ship, and uh, um. Uh, there's oh so they they reach they get into this new space the hopeless city and it's this crazy i mean it's i don't think we can do the description justice here um it's it seems very metropolitan mm-hmm. uh and at the same time very like mechanical and um like crazy uh, yeah it's shifting like you think of the scenes from inception where the city is kind of wrapping up on itself and like all this impossible angles and architecture and all that sort of thing like Pretty cool, and this is where that uh, big pompous demon came from, I believe, was uh, mm. from somewhere yes. in the city. So they, they have, you know, people in 
rusted breastplates and all, you know, they're kind of done up as foppish nobility for some of these or, or, or guards. And, uh, it'd been a cool, they, they really blitzed through this town. Uh, it's a, another cool running battle, rot flies and all that sort of thing. And they stab a bunch of dudes and poke a bunch of guys in the eye and, uh, they're trying to get through. And there's you know another cinematic moment where there's a big gate closing, uh, and they're, we're not going to make it. And then managed to, uh, gum up the works with, I think Enyo maybe fires an arrow and, uh, breaks the chain. They managed to just barely squeeze through, um, and get on to the next descend to the next level of the garden. So what level are we on now at this point? Have anybody been keep, keeping track? This up? was fourth. And I think when they pop out of here, uh, then they get down to the fifth. Gotcha. I believe. Um, so there's a moment here once they get yeah to the fifth tier where Gardas and Morvis have another conversation. Um, they're all hearing voices. Um, yeah. And this this is they get right the the boat just kind of plows into the mud oh, right yeah just comes crashing down the energy uh, leaves right um they they're kind of spent and now this is uh this is a cool tier like there's there's it's like you had swamps and a jungle and a city and all sort of now now they're just in it, I imagine it's like this this massive gray mud flat you know so we're all before you had all this kind of nerglish growth this is like the the desolation despair sort of level, like where, you know, the finality of where everything's, you know, entropying to, I don't know. I was, a, I was imagining such an infinite space mm-hmm. with such low visibility and breathe, breathability that you feel claustrophobic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no, like, there's no knowing where you're at, but uh, you feel like you're completely trapped. I'm imagining um, the never ending story when he's in yeah. the swamp. Right, there's yeah. a little bit of it's going in through my head. Isn't that one called the Swamp of Despair? Yep. Um, all right. TM, TM, so, TM, TM. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> uh, so um, Morbus and Gardas are talking again, and Morbus asks him again, "Why are we doing this?" And Gardas says, "A voice had told him that he must do this." So we kind of go back, and you know, even then, when he decided to come to the garden, because they're questioning, you know, their choice, and all along the way, Gardas is like regretting this. We've lost more people. Um, we're getting further in. The further in we go, the more important it is that we make something happen. You know, otherwise it's really for nothing. Um, and and so they're trying to find because they have to find this next gate. And Gatrock says we can't do that without surrendering to despair. Um, but nobody's willing to do that. They say they refuse. We will find this gate. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, out of some puddle or out of the darkness a shadow or something uh, a hand reaches up to Tornus and grabs him by the neck and this shape comes up out of the crack or puddle or whatever and lifts Tornus up into the air it's the woodsman it's the woodsman Torglug his other self in in manifest in some real form uh, comes and uh, starts to kick everyone's butt yep um so there's a battle and then uh you know separately at the same time grim and bubonicus begin to struggle um uh and and grim goads spoom on to to killing him and and you know uh, they reach they actually reach a stalemate and agree that fighting to their death would be better uh so grim's mental fortitude like 
uh, Bubonicus just can't break through it. And, and Grimm catches him like, you know, Bubonicus isn't going to tell him that he's unable, you know, he's still starting to scare Grimm and, and goad him. Uh, but he catches him in something he says and realizes that Bubo realizes he can't. So my notes call him Bubo. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so you on first name basis with the... <laughs> I'm in nicknames. Okay. <laughs> hey, Bubo. Um, and uh, so they reach a stalemate and they agree that fighting to the death is better than than uh, uh, fighting together to the death is better, you know, in, in an honorable way is better than uh, Grim just getting them both killed. Yeah, so Grim Grim manages for he's he's got enough fortitude to say, I'm gonna fight this. You can help me or you can't, and you probably better help me because uh, you know, if I die then you're dead too. You're in here with me. Uh and uh is it is a cool moment where he has uh it's coming up in a bit here, but he has uh Bubonicus, you know, they they're talking now this debate. So like you talk about having an argument with someone, right? Uh <clears throat> think about having an argument with someone where you can see each other's memories and like see each other, like you're sharing the same body. So it, it, there's, there's cool moments in this where uh, he says, well, you know, you followed the false God and you're not a good man like me. And, and Grimm's able to say, well, why don't you, why don't you take a look? You know, you can, you can look at my, tell me, what do you think? Was I, you know, was I a good man? You know, was I true to my word? You know, these things that the, the order of the fly uh, holds, still holds in high regard you know so almost yeah almost like saying you know check my resume yeah i'm not a nice guy yeah like i don't have the same like things that you are holding yourself up to like i'm the stormcast yeah but i can i play dirtier than you do (laughs) um so and and so they um yeah they kind of kind of reach this moment and there's um so let's well let's continue on that piece a little bit uh because um, Grimm's brought up to the deck, um, and Bubonicus has control of his body, but not his mind. And he's again impressed by Grimm's mental fortitude, and he backs off and lets Grimm have control. Um, and the Grimm and, and uh, Spoon get into a fight. Uh, Grimm is able to to grab him by the kraken, not a euphemism. Oh, Whoa, <laughs> man! Uh, and friendly, <laughs> and is able to. Um, uh, what do you say? Oh, he, this, so they're fighting and he grabs him, um, but is unable to, you know, kind of best him. Um, and, uh, um, oh man, where did we go? Sorry, I'm getting lost. Um, oh, so he, so he, he grabs uh, Spume and then dispatches the crew, um, but then they're surrounded. Um, by the father of decay, um, the great unclean one, who's also known as the hand of Nurgle. Um, and here's where I thought that Bubonicus, the story was going to keep, was going to get more interesting and maybe it will at some point. Um, but the father of decay kind of notes that uh, Bubonicus or Bubo is inside a grim and he decides to burn him away. Mm-hmm. Plucks him out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it's interesting. I, I kind of wanted that to keep going or to see what would, not that I wanted Grimm to die, but uh, kind of see what the, what would happen. What, where was I mean, go? I agree with you, um, but I wonder if maybe the climax of, of Bubo's, you know, story or, you know, the, the apex was that 
not only did he ease off the gas on Grimm, but he actually helps him and Grimm yep. says, hey, man, what are you even doing? Like, why, like, even though it seemed like they came to an understanding, he's like, well, I didn't expect to expect this. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to give it my all too in, in the midst of the fight with, with Spume, yep. I think. So uh, the father, he, Spume hand, asks for a reward for bringing in Grimm. And uh, the father of Decay says, well, there's a whole bunch of others here. Yeah. <laughs> if you kill those, then we can talk. Um, and so, so I want to give you a reward, you know, greater than what you can imagine. And so oh, right, right. spits back. Well, I can imagine quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I've got quite the imagination. Uh, so Spoon goes back after uh, Gardas and the rest. So uh, speaking of whom? Yeah, speaking of whom? Uh, so Torglug appears uh, and is just wailing on Tornus. Um, and knocks him out. Yep, knocks him out, and then uh, Kadok tries to get in there. Gets a big axe through the pauldron. Like Not down cool. Yep. One of, the, one of the last places you want an axe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so then uh, um, he gets knocked down, and then Tornus gets back up, tries to intervene, and then uh, Tornus is, uh, and then here comes Gatrog, um, uh, who's able to um, grab the uh, a gladius that was down or a yeah well gardas is getting beat to hell and uh his rune blade has been has been dropped right, right. and yeah, uh gardas has been taken down chapter ends with gatrog picking up the rune blade he knows what he needs to do you know he's, he's talked several times give me a sword give me a sword you know even when he's surrounded like give me a sword and i'll give you an answer you know sort of thing yep. well now he's got a sword um and uh he ends up uh, fulfilling his oath of uh, continued help, like he's he's true to his yeah. word to the end. So rather than rather than break his oath, he uh, he runs uh, Torglug through. Um, basically, decides the fight um, yep. to his cost. Torglug takes him out, mm-hmm. uh, slices him through the the gullet, and then Tornus is able to get on top of uh, Torgus Torglug and finish him off, yeah. uh, and and just kind of put to bed for, for Tornus, who he is, right? Yeah. Uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now we're, they're faced with low energy, needing to get further on. Um, and so they reach deeper into their well of uh, uh, power. Yeah. And there's one thing we haven't mentioned yet. That I thought this was a cool idea, just was not executed well, was uh, where they talk about the blessings of Sigmar are fading the deeper into the realm that they get. You know, like the the arrows are are um, returning to the quiver uh, yeah. less frequently, and the um, hammers are becoming just hammers instead of lightning wreath hammers. That my only my only complaint with that is I thought it was a really cool idea. I would like to see it explored a little bit more, but it would be it would do something like you know, Tornus reached back and realized it was his last arrow, and then literally like three sentences later, he fired four arrows in quick succession and you know killed seven guys with those four arrows. Like it, it didn't. It was a cool idea, but it didn't seem to actually impact the story at all. They continued to just kill just as fast as, you know, they were continue to be just as effective uh, as they were before, despite the fact that uh, ostensibly they're going against more difficult enemies yeah. with uh, with fewer resources at their... Yeah, I, and I think this next piece kind of shows too, though, is, I mean, it's this sense of they're going further down. They're going further down and further away from Azir. At the same time, they have this... Uh, power that's got a governor on it or a inhibitor that they they find a way to leech more out of it 
to kind of to kind of bring them back to whole and so it's i think what what you're feeling is that like yeah there's there's a tension that that josh is trying to create that that kind of becomes less tense because they keep finding that the well is deeper mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. there's there's more of that piece there and so maybe maybe it's that there's not enough time or there's there's too maybe there's one too many times of digging into that well and finding more because what's what happens next is so so Kadok is has been slain like or is near death um and he has a lantern and which has been you know a huge power source for them but now they're they want to pull it out of the lantern the source out of the lantern kind of take the nuclear material right out of the container that's holding it or, or you know taking everything off of it and just this raw power and um and morbus takes and and grabs uh Kadok's soul uh onto himself and then harnesses this power um and he uh brings the ship back to life um but mm-hmm. not not just the ship itself but it transforms it into a ship worthy of the skies of Azir or the, the water of Azir. Um, and they realize, uh, and, and this is different too. And maybe this is the part that's hard to like be tangible is that it's not just that this power source in and of itself is doing it, but it's their faith. Mm-hmm. And whether that's like the moment Torglug or Tornus like showed that he is no longer Tornus uh, or that, you know, a Kadok was the not was not selfish and went to rescue his brother uh, Tornus um, or whatever it was um, like their faith strengthened them too but that's such an intangible and it feels like such a like not you know like it's it's outside the mechanics right so it, it's it is a lot of new interesting and weird mechanics that are brought into this of what what does a Lord Relictor do? What does a Knight of Zeros's lantern? What is that about? Um, well, and uh, I seem to remember from the second one is that he took the thing that was in the lantern and like jammed it down into the deck or something like that, if I remember correctly. Which I thought was a really interesting parallel to the very beginning of the story where they took the spike and drove it into the pillar. And huh. so, like, to me, it was very much a moment of, like, we are giving up on ourselves here. Like, we're going to do this thing, but, like, we're just doing this because this is all we have left to do. Right? Yeah, I think you're right. He, he does, like, it becomes some sort of, like, spike-type thing. And he, he nails it into the gate, or into the boat. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so he does this, and it becomes this new thing, which is just crazy, like... You thought it had the flames on the side before. Now it's got double flames. And a spoiler. (laughs) It's got it in wings. Lightning nass. So so they they blast through. um, They get to the Desolation Gates, which are bronze from War of Blood taken from corn. Pass through the Balefire Wards. So the ship is just charged and like kicks off and and bounces off all of the stuff. Um, and uh, the galley buzzes past palisades, inverted bridges and towers. Um, there's uh, flyers coming at them. Um, 
and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, is, uh, gut rock spoon is waiting ahead. Yeah. Um, he set up an ambush, right? So yeah, fires off these kind of like sky hooks, but, uh, uh, <laughs> not, not nearly as cool. So, so Aaron, what's, <laughs> what's, what's cool about these? Well, they're strapped to the back of, I, I guess you'd call them Nurgle Ogars, um, which, I mean, that, that, that's the only thing Ogars were missing, I think, was just a bunch of hooks attached to their back. Now they're unstoppable forces. Yeah, and exactly. And I think Spoom, Spoom um, uses them to uh, launch those hooks at this galley and try and, and, and drag them in, you know, trap them or get a hold. He, he's fishing for Stormcast, and these are his lines i i definitely imagine him using this against like um like cloud sharks or some of those like caradron the sky krakens the sky yeah. krakens like you know throw them up and then reel them back in you know that sure. sort of stuff i think um, the way he does it he just then cuts off their heads like he does everybody else well so that's the, kind of a bump <laughs> plan is that he throws the throw they hook into it but there's no stopping this thing and it starts dragging his boat along with him he's gonna need <laughs> yeah. a boat yeah he's gonna need a new boat um so then uh lightning goes down the chain um and and uh Sproom is is hit with lightning uh he's shot with some arrows and he tumbles into the water didn't he hit the wall first wasn't it like a yeah, yeah like took some took a dent out of it or something like that um yeah does anybody else feel like that was a little anticlimactic i mean he's been, like, he's been a pov like much of this book i mean he's got a lot of character i i, I wanted to see how he ended up like he was given this challenge i understand like he's the villain so you don't like expect him to succeed per se but for him to go down like that seemed like kind of a kind of a shame yeah well and it, it was very climactic the way that he was set up with this huge like you know this new weapon that nobody had ever seen before and this perfect trap and everything was set up perfectly and then it's like lightning it's just you know I can assume, but I wanted to know like how he felt about this. Like, I, what was what was going through his mind as yeah. he crashed into the rock and then water? Yeah. <laughs> well, but the Ouch. real question is: Is this his payment for betraying Urslog? Right, because he kicked her off the boat way back when. So would she have been able to help him do this? Because like he had done everything wrong in the book to this point, except for to catch her trying to bargain away Grim. Because Erzlog had been telling him everything that was going to be going wrong. Oh, you need to do this because of this. Oh, you need to do this because of this. And before he got to this point, he was like, ah, I'm done with you. He just threw her in the water. Yeah. It was it was funny. After cutting off her head, he tacked her head up to the mast and then continued <laughs> yeah. to talk to her. Oh, she talked back to him. But yeah. Yeah. Chucked her head. Promised to give her her body back and chucked them both in the water. But anyway, back here. Yeah, he's kind of, he's, he's a little summarily dispensed of but uh that goes for an awful lot of the uh there's there's not many denizens of this garden of nurgle that are not uh pretty easily taken care of um you know uh put up a fight but it it felt like they they really kind of blitzed their way through just about everything they came up against yeah i mean there's i would say the the fight of faith was probably the harder fight Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, which says something, right? Yeah. Sometimes the internal battles are the the harder ones. Um. So the you know the so they they're pushing through um in the boat passes through the gate and they find this massive army waiting in this uh, uh in this space 
kind of like it's kind of like an amphitheater mm-hmm. uh and the the galley just smashes into the army <laughs> and sets them all on fire <laughs> um and you know with that that blaze the the stormcasts that remain are cleansed their armor is cleansed uh gardas his glowing the few times where he's let it kind of just glow instead of fighting it he's letting himself be who he's supposed to let be. his soul glow um and i think this is <laughs> um and i mean this is also an answer to like he's in the beginning he's uneasy with this ability that he has and he's not he doesn't trust himself um and so this is also him throughout him coming down deeper he's trusting himself that this is the right path and morbus at one point tells him no this is the right path i figured it out um you know be confident um he confides in him that this journey was meant to be. It's not a folly. It's not, it's not Gardas just acting on his emotions and being foolish. Um, and so uh, the hand of Nurgle comes forward, the father decay. Um, <laughs> I have a terrible typo in here. Um, and, and uh, I saw it. Um, and the, he's kind of waxing on. <laughs> and this is another point where the Stormcasts are kind of dirty. Um, he's waxing on and he's talking and he's like ha 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 and getting cocky and Tornus shoots him in the eye through his cool little monocle through his cool little monocle and he just starts tipping over and he's just all like too fat and too un- unbalanced and as they're doing this he sent uh, Gardas sends uh, Enyo to go free Grim and they do so and uh, and um there's a, a boom from from down below. There's, they're kind of in this amphitheater surrounding a, uh, a cavern that goes down. And Gardas goes over to look down into it. And do you guys remember what he sees? Yeah, this is... Uh, you're talking when he looks down in the cistern after they've defeated this. So this, for me, was about one of the coolest moments in the book. I'm going to read it off if you're cool with that here. Yeah, yeah please. Yeah, so... Down below, something began to crawl out of the black heart of that cancerous infinity. It was no shape and all shapes. Fat and thin, a plume of smoke, a puddle of oil spreading ever upwards. There were eyes in the smoke as round as cold, dead suns, and teeth that stretched in a grin as wide as the horizon. Fingers like comets clutched at the void as the lord of all things stirred from his manse and began the long, arduous climb to his garden. Moons crumbled beneath that impossible bulk, and stars were snuffed out. So... This, you know, like we like, I don't know, a lot of times you think about Nurgle or any of the cast guys, you just think of them as like an even bigger version of their great, of their uh, greater demon. But this like really drives home the cosmic horror, like the the size of this thing. So it's going to take like two storm casts to kill him then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I love one of the reaction is, uh, you know, so Gardas and Morbus are talking back and forth and Gardas is saying like, He's coming for me. I escaped once before. I shouldn't have, you know, my fate's written. He's, he's going to get me. And he says, you know, keep them back. Uh, keep them from seeing that if you can. Like, it's so horrible. Like, he just doesn't, he doesn't even want the rest of his Stormcast to see, you know, a, a chaos god, see Nurgle himself coming up after them. Um, yeah, I, I, this was like, felt like about to be fulfilled on a bunch of promises of book. I was really uh, pumped. I thought this was an amazing scene here. Yeah. So, but instead of Gardas making the jump, Morbus stops him, and he says, "I've got one storm left." Um, and he he jumps in. Yeah. All of the 
the stormcast spirits with him. They jump in as as Nurgle reaches up to grab him, and they just explode in his hand. Yeah. Um, Morbus detonates uh, himself basically, Um, and a beam of light shoots up from Nurgle's hand, uh, and the stormcast kind of get carried away into it um and uh they they blast out of the the pit yeah nervous <laughs> scream and right before he jumps he says, this is why we we're here Gardas. this is the first blow and the last this is the settling of a question millennia old and the question here i believe is like you know do you bleed chaos gods right like like a certain xerxes uh, yeah is is sigmar strong enough is he equal right, right. can he can he hurt and he hurt them the way that he's they've hurt him um and uh and so uh we're back up in garan uh karunta is uh, uh almost ready to close the date the gate it's been uh seven days uh they the order um of flies that have been out in ships have since come back and have been fought off the free people have been told to leave um and demons are pouring out of the gate and uh as they're kind of like losing their own hope uh white light bursts out of the gate uh and out come gardas and and tornus and a number of other of the the living stormcast that survived and then um following them are they can see each of the spirits uh coming out of the gate and blasting up to azir and one of them being uh, morbus's soul and and why are they surprised Morbus should have been like he was landed literally in the hand of a chaos god, and uh... yeah. So not only should yeah he be just dead because Nurgle had him in his hands, um, but there's something about his soul coming up that everyone realizes that that a relictor's power is ridiculous. Yeah. Like the physical, the the physicality, or something about seeing the soul. It says uh, Morbus's soul was more powerful than they had imagined. Um, and so another kind of key to the relictors and that sort of thing. I don't know that when Gardas died, there was any sort of like mention of that, right? I don't when, think so, no. When any of the Lord Celestins have died, it's sure they might have, you know, be amped up a little bit, but I don't think they compare uh, to the relictors. Um, yeah. Which is also too, I mean, I'm thinking about like, you know, in the latest uh, uh, Stormcast book, the relictors got a bunch of new prayers and that sort of thing. Um, that made them more powerful, whereas before maybe felt like they weren't as powerful. So, I mean, it's kind of this revealing of how awesome they are. Um, uh, and Zephocles and the Astral Templars arrive just as the everything's done. It's saying, hey, we we heard what happened. And, and Gardas is like, how? And he turns to like uh, uh, the guys who stayed back. Hey, did you tell anybody? And they're like, no. Not us. Yeah. No, it says, uh, and... Uh, uh, what's her name? Casanandra? Casadora? Casadora is there, and she says, the sky hosts have claimed to have heard the screams of a wounded god. Um, and so not only did they tell Nurgle, hey, we wounded you, but the, like, they everybody, knows, yeah. everybody knows. Everybody knows. Damn! <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that is basically where our book ends. So um, we've gone through this arc. Obviously, uh, Gardas has decided to go 
Uh, we find out uh, that Sigmar knew this was going to happen. He sent them there, you know, like Gardas is reforged with this power. He sent them to this place knowing that this realm gate was here probably, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that Grimm was going to get caught in it, uh, that Gardas was going to choose, make the choice to return down there, uh, make his own choice. This is the, this is our question of free will, right? Did he choose to go down here or is he just working with, you know, yeah. who he is, right? That sort of stuff. Um, a little uh, bit of both, right? Like in, in a way that like, is it really free will if somebody knows what you're going to do? Like, Right, right. Uh, and uh, they're surprised to see Tornus come out uh, mm-hmm. and return, but I, I don't think anyone's going to question his, who he is. Yeah, uh, his allegiances anymore. Um, and, uh, and I mean, so, and Sigmar literally has struck a blow to Nurgle, Nurgle, not, not figuratively, not uh, metaphorically, not <laughs> very literal not, physical not sense, inc- not yeah. incidentally, <laughs> but like punched him in the hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just punch me in the hand? <laughs> well, here's here's the question I have, right? So, like, when Morbus's soul goes up, it's so huge and so powerful, nobody had any idea, right? Yeah. But he was in Nurgle's hand. Mm-hmm. Did part of Nurgle go up with Morbus? Right? Does he now like? Was that all Morbus's soul originally, or is there now something more there? I don't think there was a hint one way or the other necessarily. No, I mean the way uh, I read it, the way I read it was that it was all celestial energy. Yeah, um, it was. It revealed impressed by his. The power he like nobody's seen a relictors under their skirt kind of thing mm-hmm. but in in the um you want to <laughs> i mean i mean you've seen the size of the power sure. <laughs> directly proportional um but when when vandis was fighting archeon and archeon uh killed him and the light was going off and he kind of tickled his fingers through there i mean we asked that same question like is he is he tainting that in any way you know mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Should we go around the horn here? Final final thoughts. Sure. Let's do that. All right. (laughs) Aaron, what are you? You got any uh, final wrap up thoughts on this? You're looking at him. No. Um. You know, I I really loved it. It started off real strong. Uh. I think we maybe alluded to it at some point, but I, I guess maybe the. I think we've talked before about maybe the stakes ended up not being as, as staky as I would have thought they would have been, especially knowing going into it, um, how, how Stormcast can be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I don't, I don't hold it against the book knowing that everybody survived. Like sometimes the good guys just win. Um, so that, that was cool. Uh, I really, really liked how the way uh, Reynolds um, set this in sort of a, a greater story arc, how he referenced a lot of old characters, how it's sort of a sequel of the Realm Gate Wars. Um, what that did is really cement this story in a place and in a setting and in a time, and it made it feel more concrete, I guess, with its context. And, uh, you know, all in all, I just straight up like that. I love the characters. The characters are great. Um, I like how it really fleshed out uh, the, the individuals in the Steel Soul so much so that I want one of my next armies to actually be a, a Steel Soul host um because of all the different characters having so much you know personality um so yeah no, I'm all in all I'll give it a, I'll give it a two thumbs up I want and I, and I guess I do kind of want to know 
I guess I don't know what you'd call it, but the sequel, what happens next, especially for a lot, for a lot of these characters, and, and including Ramos too, even though he's not necessarily a, a steel soul, but mm-hmm. it has left a lot of good threads that can be picked up in the future. In he's a, a bull heart. Yeah. Basically, then you know it. Um, uh, so I, I, I can't wait to just see where I assume Reynolds runs with some of this stuff. Yeah. How about you, Paul? Uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I had to go with two thumbs up as well. Uh, it it was really interesting to have that much differentiation between the different forces of Nurgle, right? Like the only ones that were quote uninteresting were the ones that were like the idiot. They were supposed to be uninteresting, right? Like the first level, they're like, oh yeah, these guys are just a bunch of idiots. <laughs> and like even Spion was talking about how, oh yeah, plague bearers are just a bunch of idiots. Like, they can make me do stuff for some stuff, but you really need people to do this or, you know, et cetera. Uh, but they also had the really nice AOS touches of like when they introduced Enyo, uh, they had this really cool moment where she was talking about when she, before she was turned into a Stormcast Eternal, she had memories of flying because her town or village or whatever was a clockwork village. So she had her own prosecutor wings before she was taken up into Azir. And I, I thought that was just an incredible moment and like a couple other moments of just small things that added a lot to the story itself. And then obviously I really enjoyed the moment where Morbus, um, the the right failed and the ship crashed and the card is talking to him and he's like, well, I guess there's a weakness in that right. And then, you know, they talk about how there's the, the starlight coming out of his soul. Just the idea of you have these human faces in these like, superhuman powers basically but the idea that the entire person could be suffused with this you know as your power as if instead of being people who are a part of it as if they were filled by azir itself and so it was more of a part of azir going down into the realm of nurgle than necessarily an army of people from azir if that makes more sense Mm. right It it was a really interesting way of portraying that cool so. yeah i um the things i really liked i loved the diversity the gender diversity that uh that reynolds uh was able to just make seamless through here like it didn't feel forced it was really cool um i really liked learning more about relictors uh in these rites and the, the mysteriousness like ever since you know, Ionis, uh, you know, in, in like the second book after um, Gates of Azir, where he, we start learning more about him and him being able to take out like a castle and all that kind of stuff. Like, And you're like, wait a sec, the rules don't let him do that. <laughs> yeah. We got to write some rules for unlocking those uh, those powers, those rights. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they, just seeing that, exploring what that means and how that works, et cetera, is really cool. Um, the, the four rights that just help them ignore Nagash, like how annoying is that thing? Nagash, he's like, ah, I'm talking to you. Yeah. If it was just three rights, it wouldn't be a big deal. But that fourth one really sticks it. You know what the fourth one is? What's hold it? Music, hold music. <laughs> uh, let me get you. Let me get you my superior. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean, I too. I mean, like, I'm I'm really excited for the characters. I'm really excited. I, I was so excited to hear that we we're going to get to read more about Gardas. I I think I glazed over him in the in the green torque like it was a small bit god um and so uh um 
yeah so i mean i think i think all that's really good i do think that there's a few spots like um the 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 slaves had uh, at one point said hey we we decided we're going to stay and fight and like um karunta's like okay but then at the last part they're no like they'd been sent away so i you know they some continuity things uh in some of those characters but at the same time I thought he did a great job, um, you know, like nailing and differentiating a whole bunch of different character types. Um, there's a ton. Of, there's like the cast is huge in this. Yeah. Um, and so he did a really good job with that. I think a couple of these characters probably could have dropped, uh, you know, and, you know, there's just maybe a couple too many. But I, I really enjoyed the book. I really enjoyed reading it. I was uh, tried to, I read it just over this past week and, and kept wanting to find ways to, to read more of it. So it was great. How about you, Davey? Last thoughts? Yeah. If you had told me before I read this, that, uh, you know, 30 to 40 Stormcast were going to enter the garden of Nurgle, get all the way through, hurt him and all get back out safely. I would have told you that sounds dumb and I'm not interested, <laughs> but, uh, this was definitely my, uh, favorite age of Sigmar book so far. So it's a credit to, uh, Josh Reynolds that he was able to take, you know, something that on, on face value, I'd be like, ah, I don't like the sound of that and, and turn it into such a, such a good story. I think his strengths are, um, uh, making Nurgle interesting. Um, before I read, uh, you know, prior to this, I think my, I said before my favorite character was Lord Grelch who lasts for all of one chapter in <laughs> one of them, but it was because he took, he took, uh, you know, fathers of chaos. And I was like, ah, okay, I get it. Like now I, I understand, especially on a, a weird one like Nurgle, um, where you're like, why, why would you want to be all gross and diseased? And I don't see the allure. Well, he, he found a way to do that. He made the, the garden of Nurgle, like a believable place, really fantastical. It made me think of, uh, some of the more, uh, like adventures of Baron Munchausen or, um, uh, time bandits, you know, like going to these really kind of fantastical places. Uh, you could, you could really picture him. I thought that was amazing. Um, and you know, I've already kind of mentioned or alluded to this, but I, I was a little, um, uh, I guess I just, I thought the the final thing I thought it was a really cool idea, like to hurt a chaos guy. That was cool. And I, I just, I think it could have been a more impactful moment. It could have been more, uh, you know, setting aside any believability things because I think he explained it and justified it well. And I think you've helped me, you know, in the discussion of this, understand the, you know, they're really digging into the power of like the relictors. But, uh, I, I think the moment would have been greater if there had been some kind of sacrifice, some kind of notable sacrifice. I think it would have held more weight at the end. And, uh, I think it would have uh, paid off some of the early promise, uh, where you, you we are like, wow, the stakes are really high. And like, uh, Aaron was saying, like they, uh, they didn't, they didn't pay a price, I guess. Um, and I think, uh, I, I just think it could have been a, a more powerful ending if they had like, you're willing to sacrifice some, some storm cast souls to show that you can hurt a chaos God rather than everybody get off scot-free. But that is a relatively minor quibble in what I think was, uh, the best age of Sigmar book so far. And it's off to Josh Reynolds. He did a great job. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for these continued fantastic books. And I, I do think, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. There's a little bit of age to the realms and the authors have gotten, uh, you know, more under their belt and these characters have had some experiences 
which I think is all culminated in in just better storytelling, better characters uh, development, and and uh, you know reaching some some cool places. Anything else, gents? Nope. You got right. it. It's time for our reforging. Like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Comment below. Leave a review for us on iTunes. Uh, why don't you guys uh, give me each of your uh, Twitter handles? Davey? At red underscore Zeke. Paul? PJ Shard. Uh, Aaron? Yeah, it's uh, a bowler. A-B-O-H-L-E-R. Yeah. Awesome. And myself, Eric, at Stone Monk Gamer. Um, a like, a subscribe, and a review on iTunes would help others find our show and dive into the Age of Sigmar stories. We've uh, reviewed a ton of them. And lastly, if you want to support the show, we have Mortal Realm status tokens available as a free do-it-yourself printable download. Or for $15 US uh, plus shipping, you can have 60 full-color, high-quality laser-cut tokens. <laughs> jerk to help you keep track of your synergies on the battlefield find the link in the show notes and comments below don't read this at all don't wait a minute all right thanks and uh, we'll catch you next time in the mortal realms